there, and welcome back to part two of the greatest Devils team of all time here on Behind the Bench. We, uh, in part one, uh, run the rule over the first decade of the Cardiff Devils and the Super League years. And today in this episode, we will round off the complete teams, starting with the Elite League early years, which will cover all of the or the majority of the Big Blue Tent era and the end of the Wales National Ice Rink era. And then we will end with the new era, which is uh, currently still ongoing. I'm Gareth Hewish, and as always, delighted to be joined by Mr. John Donovan. Uh, good evening, Gaz. Good evening, gents. Apologies if I if I look away, and this is going to give up the night we're recording this. Um, Newport County are on the screen. There are two... T- <laughs> There are two teams in the playoffs at the moment, and, and I wish one of them well in terms of Welsh teams. <laughs> and, and before you Swansea Devils fans tweet at me, I know I'm an arsehole anyway. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good evening, everyone. But yeah, I'll, I'll just be keeping an eye on Newport County as well. I think that's my favourite ever intro you've done. <laughs> <laughs> and we're joined by producer Herbs. Herbs, how are you, sir? I'll be keeping an eye on a different game, being a Liverpool fan, which I know upsets for any to the Leicester the Leicester game this evening but all good looking forward to this episode some great players to talk about and reminisce over and of course the man in the marquee who I hope will be giving his undivided attention to the podcast tonight like the rest of the panel yes Daniel Francis Franny how's it going Good, good. And since we're giving away the date that we've recorded this, uh, it's Tuesday. And <laughs> yep. those of you that will have seen Twitter by now, as this goes out, I think, on uh, on Friday, will have seen the shirts, the first set of shirts have been announced um, for the raffle mm-hmm. and seen some really good feedback on them. They are very unique and, you know, they're very stand standout-ish and you know, you get, you're guaranteed, no matter what shirt you end up with, if, you, if you're a lucky winner of those, to have an absolute club legend on the back of them. So, uh, so yeah, um, good to see the good early feedback. I'm really excited to, to get the shirts uh, raffled, auctioned, and also the, the player um, getting a shirt delivered to them. Yeah. I see Brady. Was uh, was in the bank earlier, arranging an overdraft to uh, pay for all his entries. Well, I, I, I was going to ask. So let, let, let's not pretend we're professional here, Franny. What's going on with your washing machine? Can you can you hear my washing machine? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just know you're worried about it. All oh, right, no, I'm I'm, wa- I'm washing the shirts. <laughs> <You're> wash- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Right. Okay. Let's- Let's get into this and uh, let's uh, have a look at who's made the cut for the uh, Devils all-time team for the Elite League early years. Um, Franny, just before I kind of delve in uh, to the, the guys who made this cut, um, was this a kind of favourite era for you? These are your guys, aren't they? I, I imagine this was kind of a really tough choice for you when you were putting your shortlist in. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you look back at it, there's, you know, iconic legends in every single era, isn't there? So, you know, to have a favourite era is, is, God, it's really difficult. 
Um, you know, I was actually thinking about, you know, the teams that, that we've had and which would be my sort of favourite teams. You know, there's, there's a massive, massive pull for me towards that world record team. I thought it had everything. Same. You know, it was so entertaining. It had the individual skill. It had the team players. It, you know, had the toughness, the excitement when Weller then comes in to put the cherry on top. Um, you know, that was amazing. The new era, you know, we've been blessed with so many guys. Um, I've still got an affinity towards that very first year. Um, the Challenge Cup winning team that, that we had on a, a podcast that's available on the, uh, the archives. Um, but that, that, that team as well felt a lot like that world record team in, in, the ter- in, in terms of the way it played, you know, the, the Hendo doing the enforcing at the right times, you know, the energy that you had from the, the Myers, Clarks and Mitchums. And then, you know, you got the, the skill from the likes of uh, Marty, Mo, um, Culligan, you know, you think of the goals that were scored. So, yeah, I mean, these are two, two big eras for me. Um, and, you know, just unfortunately, we couldn't get even more players in because, there's, <laughs> you know, there's some absolute doozies that, uh, that missed out on here. As Mr. Bradvoth pointed out, you know, not on the list is Tyson Toplitsky. And, you know, I would have Tyson in any team in any era. Uh, and I know he would be one of the best guys in the league. Absolutely. So let's go into who made the cut for the Elite League early years. And our netminder is a gentleman that, well, could have been eligible for three of the four eras, uh, such as his legacy in Cardiff. He is a homegrown boy. It's Stevie Lyle. John, does Stevie Lyle's story get enough credit? It is a remarkable start and such a lengthy career laden with winners' medals. Does he get enough credit sort of outside or outside of Cardiff and outside of hockey even? That's a good point, guys. Probably, probably not, as Newport just scored. Um, probably <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> It, it's look his 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 start was well it was romantic but it was it was also you know bona fide he was he was in the European Cup against elite uh, Russian teams or, or or recently ex-Soviet Union teams and and he was player of the tournament at 14 years old so it wasn't just romantic he showed he was a a, a fantastic player I think from that we we all thought Stevie was going to go and break north america it's it's circumstantial maybe why he didn't um and and um you know there, there was import rules with what was it um you know with the the detroit farm team he was he was at so i i think because of what happened in that that european cup we all had huge expectations of of, of, of stevie which were probably a little unfair on him if you had to look at his career as a whole you know played in a, a number of countries won a lot of um, trophies. Um, and funnily enough, it, it, he, the two things that stand out to me about Stevie Lyle, and, and, and you know, I, I guess I'm probably asking Franny to break a little bit of confidence here, but the, his first ever introduction to Cardiff Devils, which was the European Cup, and then his last ever sort of 
Cardiff Devils appearance, which was that playoff weekend where I think Franny, he, he might have knew he was going or he might have known that Phil Asaya was coming back in or certainly there were rumours circulating and we were we were down with injuries and we made it to the final. Um, you know, again, we I think we lost to Nottingham because that's what we did back then. But he was absolutely unbelievable that weekend and, and you know, really uh, backstopped an injury depleted team to, to get to the final. And I just I just look at the, those bookends of, of Steve Lyle's Cardiff Devils career and, and think, you know, that 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 guy was a, a, an absolutely uh, stellar netminder and, and, and did it for what, nigh on 20 years. Yeah, and he he adapted his style, didn't he, as he um, as he aged. Because when he was young, he was just so quick. He was always quite small, yeah. um, but just lightning quick. You know, there was nobody quicker, uh, uh, you know, across the net. And then the older he got, I mean, he, he definitely wasn't a practice goalie where he used to love practicing when he was younger. You know, the older he got, he was literally going through the motions in practice. But then you put him in a game and you get his game, you know, his game mind on and very, very competitive. And, you know, he was on contending teams whichever team whichever league he went to and you know that tells its own story as well as well as you know what he did with the national team so I mean it is a it is a fantastic story it's a homegrown story it's ridiculous in terms of being a 14 year old in a men's you know professional league at a high standard you know then going on to you know the North America like you say John lost out because of circumstance not because of talent um, and then came back and had a very, very lengthy career back in the UK. Do we think that if his talent was as a defenseman or a forward, that North American stay would have been longer? I'm just thinking you're looking at goaltenders, you've got two spots mm. as opposed to eight spots mm. as a, a defenseman, 12 spots as a forward, etc. Is is that the, the, the real numbers game that the, this? Because as you say, 14 playing on the stage he's playing at, if you hear about that happening today, you're kind of looking, well, where's he in the draft rankings? Yeah. Or you're looking at child protection. Yeah, I can't, I don't think it was a parental consent form signed on uh, all this yeah. It's cheap. <laughs> oh, inside it, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> No, but you're right. Goalie is one of the hardest spots to crack because of, you know, the limited amount of spots there are. Um, You know, in North America, it's very tough, you know, because you get some... uh, Once somebody is assigned from a prospect, they get, you know, the preferential route through to, you know, to get them to their draft and and move on. And, you know, that's what happened with Stevie. I think Robert Esch was the guy that, uh, that came in and took Stevie's spot in Plymouth. And look at the career he went on to have. So, you know, it just goes to show where, you know, if he was a, like you say, if he was a D-man and then you get all of a sudden a, a top prospect D-man, he goes from first line to second line and he still gets an opportunity to showcase himself. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, it's a combination of things, but, you know, I'm never going to feel sorry for a goalie as part of the job. What I, um, what I, and again, Franny, I, <laughs> Franny, I don't know whether you can give more of an insight into this, what it, what his mental side of the game was like. But to me, it seemed like Stevie was pretty good at rebounding from conceding a, 
a, a, a bad goal. And I, I remember the Super League winning year when, and don't forget, he was Super League Player of the Year that year uh, when, when he came back and we won the league. But I remember those. Uh, there was a game against Sheffield and and at home, and it was I think it was one of those three two games. And Ken Priestley scored straight off a, a face off and, and and hit the puck from the the puck drop, and you know it was from the dot and it went through his legs and that that might have put him off he was still a youngster what he was probably 17 18 at the time and yet he rebounded and he had an unbelievable game and you know stevie to me when when he did let in a, a bad goal he could get his he could get the mental side of his game back together very very quickly i think that was one of his strengths is that he didn't he didn't think about things too much at all he, re- he really didn't it was fun for him he enjoyed hockey it, it was fun it wasn't I, I don't think he necessarily felt the pressure Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw that. I remember in the Super League where we used to go into penalty shootouts and we'd pull Frank Caprice and we'd put Stevie Lyle in. Yeah. He sat on the bench for 60 minutes or two hours, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then all of a sudden he's being thrown into a penalty shootout to win the game. And, you know, he didn't, he, he thrived on that. You know, it, it, uh, he, just, he just didn't think about things. So he didn't, if it was a bad goal, he was... He was not thinking about the bad goal, like some people would be beating up on themselves. Um, so I think that's just, you know, generally his approach that he just enjoyed playing and he was waiting for the next challenge. Well, Stevie Lyle is uh, a very, very worthy recipient of this spot. As I say, it could have been uh, a spot he took in, in three different eras, but uh, here he is in, in this one here. Um, as part of the, the world record team and, uh, of course, Super League winner's medal as well. Stevie Lyle, our first member of the early Elite League years. In front of him is a man who joined uh, again in his teens, um, but as a forward, a fresh-faced forward um, from uh, the Bracknell Bees, and has gone on to be probably one of the most consistent defensemen in all of the UK game. Mark Richardson is the next on our list. Uh, John, I always defer to you on Richie in that I expect to see him playing still for another 10 years. And we still say 10 years, even as each year passes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I'm with you. I think we will be seeing Richie play into this high standard for many many years to come such as his professionalism yeah i i look i i think he's the uh probably along with steve morrier he's the only guy in the uk who's probably gonna get a double testimonial such as the way he looks after himself you know <laughs> gaz you and i interviewed andrew lord and left times so know that andrew lord held mark richardson up as a or, you know, probably still continues to hold Rich, Mark Richardson up as an example of, of how you look after yourself off the ice, you know, your workout sessions, your, 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 your diet, how you conduct yourself. Um, he, 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 I remember him, yeah, again, he signed as a, a center ice and a good defensive center ice from, from Bracknell. And we were very, uh, you know, excited about picking him up to play as either a second or, or, or third line center. Um, and and we lost to Nottingham in another playoff final. And he left and he went and joined Mike Ellis at, at, at Nottingham because they'd had that link at Bracknell. Uh, and I was very very sad. And I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't think Mark Richardson would would come back and and be a Cardiff Devil. But but circumstances for once 
worked in our favor. And uh, credit to Corey Nielsen, who I know gets a lot of stick, but I, I like Corey Nielsen and I like listening to him as a coach. And I, I think he's someone who, who sees the game and he reads the game and he saw Mark Richardson could, could bring something in a, in a defensive uh, position when Basingstoke uh, went under. Um, and yeah, look, Franny and I have, I think, have had this conversation on the, on the podcast before. I, I, I'm not someone who's played the game, but I, but I look at it as someone who's watched the game. And I, and I look at Mark Richardson as someone who's not huge physically, but either via hockey IQ or positioning or awareness or balance or skating ability. When he goes into the corner or goes into a battle, he tends to come away with the puck. Um, and, and the fact he's doing that without huge physicality and, and just all out ability to separate puck carrier from the puck. He's, he's doing that with a little bit of everything, stick detail, what have you. I, I do think he's a, he's a, he's a complete defenseman and, and, and Gaz, I know you and I have, have, have talked about it. I always forget the game, but I, the, one of the, 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 the challenge um, champions league games uh, at the start of whatever it was, the last season we played 15 years ago, um, that, that was, I think probably the best performance I've seen from a, a devil's player, um, you know, in, in my 30 plus years of watching. So Mark, Mark Richardson is a, is a man for any era for, for, for me. Yeah. And I think that's what, that, that's what makes him stand out is, is consistency. You know, if, if there was a word that I would describe Richie is consistent, he's consistently good. Um, like you say, John, you know, he's not a physical player. But he's so technically good um, and reads the game so well that, you know, he uses every, everything else that he's got in order to win those battles. And he, and he does. And, you know, the telling thing for me, how good Mark Richardson is, is um, Andrew Hotham, four times defenseman of the year, followed on by Gleason Fournier, who is defenseman of the year and probably would be again this year. Um, and they've all given credit to their, their D partner. And that just shows how intelligent he is as a, as a player. And when you put him up against better players, he gets even better. And he could chip in on the power play as well. There was that time where he was scoring for fun on the power play. And technically, he's a double world record holder as well. Not only for the world record run, but he did when we held the, uh, that one night with the world record attempt for, for pucks in that from behind the blue line, he did break the world record. They just didn't verify it for us because we didn't have the uh, one part of the, the rules we failed on, but he did break, technically break that world record. Well, there we go. Another double world record all day. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie, it's, uh, something I like to pick your brains on in terms of Richie is he's not sort of a shouter on the ice from, from what we can see. Um, he's always very, you know, mild and polite when, when interviewed, there's, there's not a lot of, you know, uh, shouting or, you know, raised voices, but he's uh, spent a lot of time with, you know, letters on his chest, even from a young age. What is it about him in a, a locker room that shows that leadership that maybe isn't as evident in a, you know, a more kind of, elaborate captain, shall we say? Yeah, we, we talked about it on the, the captain's episode, also available in the, the back catalogue, <laughs> um, about the different types of leader. And you get, you know, the rah-rah, the shouty leaders. Um, and then you get those that lead by example. In a similar way to, to Jake Morissette, um, Richie is so respected within the dressing room for the way he carries himself, for the way he looks after himself. 
for the consistency of his performances day in, day out of practice. So he's there really to set the bar for the rest of the guys. You know, when uh, Andrew Lord took over as coach, one of the big things was blocking shots. And, you know, there's two guys I've mentioned there, uh, Mark Richardson and Jake Morissette is the other, who would throw themselves in front of so many pucks, you know, as many pucks as the netminders is stopping. And, uh, and it's contagious. And all of a sudden, everyone else starts doing it. So it's those intangible things that he brings to the ice. And, you know, he's very, very much a quiet leader, but massively respected in the dressing room. And, um, you know, the hardest job ever, I think, was that, that moment where um, Brad Voth was uh, yeah. falling foul of the referees all the time. And he would go to speak to the referees as a captain's job and he'd end up with a 10 minute misconduct. And, you know, that there was that terribly hard decision, which you know, I know hurt Vothel a lot, um, where, you know, he was, the, the C was taken away from his game jersey, although he was still a club captain. And Richie, who was, you know, um, you know a fairly young guy still at the time, took that on, which is a hell of a responsibility. But um, he, had, he had the respect to be able to do that. Well, it's uh, fantastic to see uh, Richie on this list, and uh, we can only hope that he uh, keeps forging his way into a new era so that when we do uh, future decades, greatest team of all time, he'll be eligible again and get on the list. But Mark Richardson is our second of the early Elite League years, greatest team of all time. And talking of leadership, the man next to him uh, needs no introduction, really, but... Uh, you're going to have to give him one because uh, Challenge Cup winner, conference title winner, a man who's absolutely tough as nails, former Devils captain Tyson Marsh. Franny, we've talked a lot about Tyson on this podcast. Um, it was a tough list, and, but I'm delighted to see that uh, Tyson Marsh made the cut here. Yeah, because Marsh is a guy, I mean, he, he was, you know, a popular player, definitely so with his teammates. But, you know, even as much credit as he get, I still don't think it's enough for what Tyson Marsh brings to your team. You know, he, he literally did everything that you would want a player to do, whether that was be defensively excellent, you know, be um, physical, very, very underrated, tough. Um chip in offensively, you could put him out on the power play, you'd get pucks through to the net. Um, Tyson Marsh, again, is a guy that when you're built, I, I wouldn't pick him as my top line D-man if I was pulling together a, a, you know, a, a fancy team, but he'd be in probably every single roster that I was picking because you know the fact that he does all those jobs and he does all those very well on top of his leadership skills um, it just makes him a, you know, a, a just a massive asset to every team that he was on. Yeah, uh, the, I, I think Tyson. What what Tyson Marsh? I think from that that, that credit to you uh, and 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 G Franny, that that year you brought him in. First of all, he was great for the first two months of the season. We talked about it, he got injured, he rushed back. People were were, were doubting him. I, I I'd seen enough in the first two months and knew he was a very good defenseman. And you guys, you know, you, I don't know whether you battled with ownership or what have you, but you you brought him back again for the the the, the second year, and and he was absolutely outstanding. What what I liked about Tyson Marsh was he was a good decision maker. He 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 had a good first pass. He could 
you know, move the puck quickly if he needed to. And as you say, jump into a, a rush. But then he would simplify the game and, and go glassing out if he had to. A few times he almost killed us, Gaz, in the... Um, <laughs> In the old gantry of the big, uh, the big blue tent. I almost but... feel sorry for him that he didn't get one of us. He tried so yeah, hard for so long that he probably deserved a good bullseye right between the eyes on one of us. Uh, he, he, he did. He hit Howard's coat. <laughs> he hit, hit Alid, I think, and a couple of times you and I had to duck. But he was a good decision maker. And and again, when he had to stand up for his teammate, boy, he fought some tough guys, and and ultimately it probably cost him in the end. But. Uh, you know, Jansen, uh, what, what was the guy in Belfast he, he, he went up against? And there was um, a, a Coventry fight. Was it against Eggner or someone down no, no, in the it, it was Harvey, Kevin Harvey. I mean, yeah. that, that, that opening weekend of that season was ridiculous. You had yes, Plumpton toe-to-toe with both of them, you yeah. know, um, bleeding all over the ice. And then the following night, you had Marsh going with Harvey. And they were just open bombs going at it. And... Um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, the thing that will always get remembered is that that fight with um, with Cam Jansen, who's obviously an extremely tough guy, but um, he got told before that game, you don't have to take that fight. We, we don't want you to take that fight. Let him chase you around the ice. Um, let him focus on you because if he's running after you, he's going to, um, you know, he's going to lose focus on his own game because he was a very effective player, Jansen. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think there's been a better fourth line role player no. in the league than him. He was fantastic, way exceeded my expectations. Um, but you know, Marshy was told categorically, you don't have to take the fight. I was very confident if he did take the fight, then that he would, he would do fine. Um, but Marshy was too honourable not to take the fight. You know, he stood up and he made that hit on Brad Moran, and Brad Moran got hurt. Um, and then the, the next game when Jansen, who again, I thought, I, I thought Jansen acted with class in terms of he didn't jump Marshy. He, he offered him out and it was you waited for him and Marshy didn't hesitate and took it. And, you know, Marshy fought open in the same way as Mike Ware used to fight open. Mm-hmm. And Mike Ware will tell you sometimes he knocked people out and sometimes he got knocked out. And, you know, Mike Ware got knocked out you know, a few times. Um, Marshy's got that open style where he's throwing big bombs and it just so happened that that Jansen caught him with a, a, probably a one in a hundred punch because um, Mar- uh, Jansen's more of a wear you down type of fighter. He'll keep going, he'll keep going and then he'll keep going and then he'll get you. Um, but Marshy had, had thrown some bombs and he was trading with Jansen and you know, Jansen happened to catch him square on the jaw and we know what happened next and um, you know, rather than think of that as Marshy's yeah. fighting ability, I'd rather think of him. I think he fought Olsen. Yeah. Um, he fought Kevin Westgarth. That's it, Westgarth. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, West, Westgarth beat him, but Westgarth's a career NHL fighter. <laughs> but the fact was, Westgarth had made a bad hit, and Marshy jumped him. You know, he jumped in there against a guy he knows he's going to get beat by, and, and that was Marshy. Like, what a teammate. What a teammate that is. A Westgarth fight, he was like roadrunner. I just seen like a puff of smoke from <laughs> Marshy was sitting the next thing I know he's like throwing bombs at my staff. I was like, what's going on? Yeah, and we were all like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> really, Marshy? But yeah, I mean, and Marshy took it. He had a couple of welts on his head at the end of that fight, but he, he didn't think twice about it. You know, he knew what he was getting himself into, but he felt that somebody had to stand up for the team and he did that. I think my uh, my last memory, whenever I think of Tyson Marsh and the and the Cardiff Devils, is that picture of him with that toothless grin, with that challenge cap. I just think it's such a great 
photo because I think the lack of teeth shows the kind of sacrifices that he put in uh, for the Devils, both on and off the ice. And just the smile on his face, it just encapsulates what that trophy meant for, for the club at the time and to him personally. So it's always a favourite of mine when that does the rounds. Gaz, yeah, I, 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 sorry, Franny, go on, go on, you go first. Uh, no, I was going to say, I mean, that, that that's, uh, like I say, that that uh, Challenge Cup winning team is, you know, holds a special place in my heart. And the fact that, you know, I couldn't have been happier that it was Marshy picking up that trophy, which I think it was his first trophy yeah. win, uh, you know, and he was the captain of the team. I, I don't think anybody really knew how to celebrate that because we weren't expected to win anything. And, um, you know, and he... he <laughs> Didn't really know what to do, but it was, you know, it was a wonderful moment. And then the other one was after the incident we talked about with Jansen. Um, you know, he had a, a rough ride with a concussion and then got himself back and played in the playoff weekend. And, you know, the third and fourth place game uh, is obvious, is often well sort of joked about, but it did give us one of the, the nicest moments in hockey where all of hockey came together to show their respects to, um, you know, to, to Marshy and, you could see the respect he had from teams all around the league where he had that kind of ovation. What was his time on the ice for the last five minutes of that third period? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we, we wouldn't let him off. And he didn't it's really brilliant. Know why. And uh, I think the refs were trying to like, um, refs were trying to get the game over with. Uh, so they weren't blowing down any icings or whatever. And we we're like, oh my God, we need a whistle. I think somebody ends up putting the puck out of play uh, <laughs> in order for him to get the, uh, the ovation. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I was just going to say, guys. From a, um, I, I don't know whether we, you are. I don't know whether we're called broadcasters, but from an, an, an interviewing point of view, always loved interviewing Tyson Marsh, and uh, even in a similar way to, to Mark Lewis. Don't don't necessarily get a lot from them, but because they're considered, when they say something, they normally say something really interesting, and that's such a great interview. Um, you know, there, there, there have been other guys, there's been a lot of great guys doing interviews with the Devils over the years. There have been some nightmare guys. Patrick Aslin, I love you. You're such a lovely guy. <laughs> you're, a, you're a great hockey player. <laughs> you were the worst interview ever. Um, but but, but Tyson, <laughs> Tyson Marsh, guys, I, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, when, when, when Tyson said something, it was normally considered, but it, it wasn't just a hockey cliche. It, it normally had a point behind it. And I always really enjoy talking to, to Tyson Marsh. Yeah, I think it, it's a really good point. And especially what struck me is when he came in to do one of the pre-match Q&As mm -hmm. and uh, you were asking him questions. And it was in that setting I understood why he was a captain because the whole room was kind of drawn to what he was yeah. saying. And obviously you, you, you're drawn to someone who's on stage, but there was a real sort of command of the room and the way we're dropping little jokes and stuff. He had a real kind of handle on it, which is tough to do. It's not an easy thing to do. And um, yeah, I, I think you're bang right. It's when someone like that talks, you listen because uh, he's got something worth saying. Yeah. So very worthy uh, add to uh, this team. Tyson Marsh completes the defence and we roll on to our three forwards, the first of which has been a guest on this podcast, very entertaining guest on this podcast. He spent seven seasons in Devil's Colours, one of the most popular, charismatic 
Devils players of all time, Max Beerbrea is the first forward on these early Elite League years list. Franny, Max had a little bit of everything uh, that he brought to this game and this club. And uh, he'll be one that I'm sure would have received huge amount of votes from the from the uh, fan base. Yeah, he did. He was uh, he was a box office player, wasn't he? You know, he was one that would stand out for a moment, and whether that was those huge crunching open ice hits, whether it was the kind of head fake and you know deking a guy and taking it on, uh, a great goal scorer. Um, a great guy to to put with your top, you know, the, the top scorer to to create chances. Uh, very very um, good all round player and exciting to watch. And you know, great number of years service to Cardiff as well. So well deserves his place on this team. John, when um, yeah, I, I look back and you look at the contribution of Max Bray, I don't think it's any greater testament to his ability than looking at his line with Mark Smith and Paul Sample and then having a look at his line with Scott Matzker and John uh, John Perry and you know the consistent one there is Max Beerbrier he did seem to make every line he played on just a little bit better he, he did this is a this is a really weird era for for for, for me because I sit here with with huge respect for Franny and G for the fact they kept us competitive and, and found these players. I, you know, I don't think it's any secret. I hated this era because, you know, we we were we weren't an arena team. We didn't have <laughs> we didn't have ownership behind us, and and ultimately we we probably although we should have done under G and Franny and the job they did that year was unbelievable. More often than not, we couldn't win the league, and and for me that's always the big thing: the Cardiff Devils win the league. So. I didn't enjoy this era as such, but I enjoyed watching Mark, Max Beerbrayer. And, and credit to Franny and G who kept finding players like this on a limited budget and, and with the worst rink in the league to, to pull people into. You know, it's a great city, but it was the worst, was the worst rink, in the, uh, rink in the league. So when we didn't have the depth of Sheffield or Nottingham, what have you, um, Max and, and the likes of Mark Smith, as you say, in his first spell, Gaz, always kind of gave us a puncher's chance because when Max was on the ice, something was going to happen. Uh, he was one of the elite players in the league. He could score a goal out of nothing. He could keep us in a game. Um, you know, the, 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 the playoff final, we lost to Belfast on penalty shots, but, you know, he, he dragged us back into that with a, a couple of uh, couple of goals. So it's, it's an, an era that because of my own selfish... And, and cynical views on sport, I, I don't really enjoy saying that, the huge respect for Franny and G, what they did. But but Max is a player who, when Sheffield had all the best players in the league or Nottingham had all the best players in the league, we always had a couple that we could hang our hat on. And, and Max Beerbray was one of those. And, and the open ice hits, probably along with Stephen Cooper, the best open ice hitter as a, a Cardiff Devils uh, 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 player, slap shot, um, you know, wrist shot. Uh, you know, not not quite as powerful as Ivan Machulik, but that but that sort of presence about him, he could go and lay a hit and yeah. and change the flow of a game in 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 one moment. Uh, you know, he was silky, and and also as you say, Gaz, he's a great guy as well. We've had him on the podcast, so um, 
you know, he he he's made his home in, in Cardiff and 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 very popular. So yeah, he 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 was someone who during what wasn't maybe the best time for the Cardiff Devils, he he was someone along with someone else we're going to talk about in a moment who allowed us to to keep our heads above water. Funny if if Max hadn't had that quite bad neck injury um, t- towards the uh, towards the end of his time in Devils Colours Day. Um, I, I guess there was maybe a chance he would he would have got to that new era setting as well. He was kind of on, on the cusp of that team. Um, you had him in your, your locker room though for for all those years with with G, just in a in a room full of very very other talented hockey players. What qualities did Max bring to you know the, the world record team and the, those teams that made playoff finals? JG touched on a lot of it. I mean, one of the things that uh, I think Adia's Max to the fans is is a character. You know, teams and sports need characters. And, you know, he's uh, such a good guy to have around. You know, always like laughing and joking and uh, smiling on his face. But then when it was game time, you knew that he was ready to put his boots on and go to work. And um, he, he just knew that he had that, that one moment that could turn a game. Um, and he often did, you know, and uh, like say, whether it was that big hit to get us going or whether it was a goal out of nothing. Um, yeah, he, he just he just had that X factor. And I think I told the story before about when he tried to change his name to X, decidedly, you know, like Prince would have a symbol, he'd have X. And, <laughs> and we, we, all egged, we, we all egged him on and we said, you got to have a celebration. What's your goal celebration? you got to do the big... X <laughs> and we had uh, the music X gonna give it to you and all, all this stuff going on and then he scores a goal and it's on telly and he and he goes out and he does the X celebration and they wave it off and he's like <laughs> in disbelief it was perfect we're like no so then he goes in there and a couple of shifts later he scores another goal and he's gone up and he's got the X celebration and again it gets waved off so <laughs> He's like devastated. He goes, I tried to get X going and I was like, try it again next game. It's going to come next game. And he scores again the next game. And once again, he does a celebration and he gets waved off. And it wasn't even close to being a disallowed goal, but for some reason it got waved off. I don't know if Hubs was on the line then. Or... <laughs> no, it's way, way <laughs> we, we didn't want X to start because we knew what the music was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, honestly, it was three in a row, just absolute fluke reasons for it to be ruled off. So in the end, he's like, I'm, I'm giving up X, X is going. And, uh, and that was the end of X. But uh, yeah, he was, always, he was always fun for, for stuff like that. And I've got to give a shout out to Max to- um, Max, Matt Toe uh, for coming up with the Boom Boom nickname that is stuck to this day, Max Boom Boom Beer Briar. Uh, it was Toey that went to see, I think, Sully on the mic and said, when you announced Max, he's Max Boom Boom Beer Briar. So he did that and Max was like confused, but we just kept on calling him Boom Boom and it just stuck. And, you know, I think that's that's his nickname is uh, is stuck forever now. And one of our favourite goal celebration musics or big hits blame it on the boom boom or the Kazakhstan national anthem when that was blasting it was uh, yeah. a highlight. Kazakhstan anthem was, yeah. was class yeah. highlights of game like that one <laughs> well I'm delighted to see uh, Max on this list and um, 
I'm sure he'll be uh, collecting his uh, jersey soon and uh, wearing it with pride. And um, yeah, we got some more stories to get out of him as well. So we'll get him back on. He was uh, the last guest we had on when we were allowed to be in the same room as other people. Yeah. So <laughs> seems a lifetime ago. So what you're saying, guys, is you're blaming Max for COVID? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think if anyone was going to cure this and, and <laughs> see us through it, probably be Max. His common sense laid back approach to uh, the life probably would have uh, made things a lot easier. <laughs> Joining Max in the forwards is uh, Kate Breton legend who uh, is revered by players who play for the Devils even today. <laughs> and uh, he is someone who in three seasons um, with the club uh, endeared himself into to life here and uh, was eventually made captain. It's Stu McRae. And uh, guys, I have to say, it's, um, this one is one that is really a shame for me because Stu does have the world record attempt, uh, a world record team on his CV, but boy, would I like to have seen him uh, lift a trophy as well with the club with that C on his on his shirt. Yeah, again, I think McCray is a guy that could have played across all the eras in any team. Um, I don't think um, fans probably understood, you know, what a junior career Stu had um, before he came over here. And, and like you alluded to there, Gaz, the guys that we've got from, from that part of the world um, all know what a legend Stu McRae is. I mean, he is, uh, he, he is held in the highest esteem in, in that neck of the woods for his junior career. You know, people would come from all over to watch Stu McRae play. You know, he was that, uh, you know, he was that well thought of. And, you know, you can see why in, in the games that he had, again, during this difficult era, um, you know, Stu McRae, Played on our third line, I think it was in that in that world record run, which was, you know, that that was ultimately the cherry on top, wasn't it? It was the uh, the reason why we 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 punched so far above our weight that year. To have a guy like Stu and you know Tyler Michelle along with Sam Smith, you know, racking up goals if teams try to shut down the other two lines. Um, but then he also bumped up to our second line, and then eventually our top line and. You know, he could play anywhere. He could do it all. And just a, a very, very smooth player, almost like in the Moria mm. sort of style. Um, you know, and again, uh, quite a quiet guy, but a, a very well-respected, quiet leader who led by example. I think the Moria reference there is um, is something that I always thought of as, as you know, Moria stands top of the pedestal for, for me, along with Joey Martin. But... McRae reminded me a lot of Moria in that he didn't maybe have a, a blistering turn of, 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 of speed. And, and again, although a big guy uh, was, was quite sort of, uh, he was an upright guy, a bit, bit slight maybe, didn't necessarily have the physicality to get away with play. But his hockey IQ just, just put him steps ahead of, of players. He know, knew how to get to the net. He knew when to make a pass. His, his peripheral vision either way to find line mates was was fantastic. I always think he was great on his in his backhand side and and uh yeah I I, I think the Moria reference is is very very fitting and uh, I think he was in in that ilk. He was someone who just saw the whole ice, saw the whole game and, and maybe didn't strike you as this fantastic natural athlete, 
but because of the way he he saw the game and and, and the way he could break it down and and know where to be and and be a couple of plays ahead of other guys maybe that that made him a, an elite player for me yeah it's crazy isn't it the start that he had to his devil's career he took 20 games to get yeah. his first goal <laughs> and still and still put up over 20 that season um, and I will never, ever let Ryan Infinity forget about the conversation he had with me early on in that season to say, I think we can do better than McCray. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think you guys have seriously got to consider making a change here. And I, I don't think McCray can cut it. And then all of a sudden he just took off. And then Finn was like, yeah, maybe I was a bit hasty on that one. <laughs> And the fact he came back, you know, that that team. Uh, sorry, sorry, guys. Just to say, you know, the the, the year, the, what was what was devastating, and uh, you know, we won't go into the ownership and what happened off the ice and what have you, but but a lot of that world record team that you you've done so much to bring together, Franny, you know, a lot of it went away, and 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 we lost Pele to to Kelman and uh, you know his evil genius and uh, oh, what have you, and, um, <laughs> but but. I, and I and, and you know Scott Matzka did come back, but but initially he'd signed to go elsewhere, and it was devastating to almost see that team um, start to break up. And, and I thought McCray was was certain to to go, so it was it was it was kind of nice at a time when things off the ice were pretty um, terrible. And and anyone who remembers a meeting at Coco Gorillas, that was a fun night. Um, <laughs> You know, Stuart McCray. Never a fun night in Coco Gorillas, John. Never a fun night in Coco Gorillas. <laughs> but I, I think Stuart McCray resigning was 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 kind of a little bit of a lift that as as fans we needed because after coming off that world record year and getting so close, he he kind of you know gave a beacon that that maybe all is not lost and um, yeah, it's, it settled the ship, didn't it? There, yeah. there was the Stuart McCray signing and we signed Chris Frank early and then everyone yeah. saw the YouTube. Uh, Frank the Tank and making ginormous hits and it got people excited again and I think those two things steadied the ship and yeah. you know where it, it could have been ugly couldn't it following that uh, the turbulation of that summer yeah absolutely so Stu McRae who um, let's not forget his uh, ch chant was invented by Alan Lloyd yeah. and he uh, with, uh, <laughs> Let me uh, go by an episode without mentioning that. The stew chant was a, a, a block, block two, was it? Block three? Block two. Initiative block two. from, uh, uh, block two from, from Adelaide. So uh, that's uh, his legacy chant. You can thank him for, <laughs> but uh, all, all of the, his accomplishments on the ice were entirely his own. And <laughs> it's good to see that it's not just uh, Cape Breton that's going to hold Stu McRae in such high regard. It will also be the Cardiff Devils as he will be immortalised in this team forevermore. So to round up the on-ice portion of this team, there can be only one man in this era that gets this spot. His shirt hangs in the rafters as a retiree. He was a guy who on the ice and possibly to some extent off the ice, carried the club on his back at times. He is remembered for many different reasons uh, for Devils fans as he is for opposition fans. Brad Voth is the final entry into this team. 
And guys, this is a whole episode on its own. <laughs> Here we got about a million and one different things we could talk about uh, to do with Brad Boff. But for me, and we'll, for and we talk about. Be, Sorry, sorry, guys, to cut over. And when we talk about Brad Voth and an episode in its you know, on its own, just want to give a shout out to Kate Arnold, who kindly messaged in to say she's really enjoying the pod and loving taking the trips down memory lane. And her request was, in fact, a Brad Voth episode. We do have to do that um, because he is one of the most loyal Devils players uh, there's been, I guess you can say. Um, Franny, I'll, I'll defer to you. How many offers was Brad Voth getting during the summertime from home and abroad uh, after his exploits in Devil shirts year on year? Yeah, I mean, certainly from within our league, all the, I mean, remember at the time, we weren't a big team. As much as we, we hate to admit that, we weren't a big team. We weren't a contender. Um, but everybody hated playing against Brad Voth and the best thing to do if you hated playing against Brad Voth was to sign Brad Voth and all those teams tried you know they put in very very big offers and um, I mean that's not to say he wasn't you know he wasn't paid poorly in Cardiff but you know it was all relative to what we could offer and he could have made a lot more money elsewhere um, but he had an affinity to Cardiff he came here as a, as a relative unknown um, you know, when you, you think about that that year in the um, Wales National Ice Rink when he turned up, uh, you know, just a, a young kid really, and then started scrappy and like, oh, this kid's got something, and uh, quickly won over the Devils fans. But Cardiff also won over him, and uh, you know, he he loved it here. I mean, it helps when you're surrounded by such good teammates, guys like Max that we've talked about, and. Um, you know, Stu, he was he was very close with, and I think we lived together at one at one stage. And uh, Toplitsky and Philozer, they're all good friends of of Brad's. But you know, he was he was the cornerstone, and um, you know, he genuinely, genuinely loved Cardiff and still does. Um, and you know, I'm sure he. I, I think you know, once all the travel is. Uh, is a, is a bit easier. He'll be back across here, um, you know, to, to enjoy some time back in, in the city. He calls his second home. And, um, you know, it, it's so easy for players with short careers to, to chase the money and you can't begrudge them doing that. Um, but, you know, the fact that he came back to us when our prospects were slim at best um, just, just says a lot about the guy. Uh, and I know another big reason that he came back a lot was G um, you know he had so much respect for G and what G did for, uh, for the team as, as the coach and uh, you know our leader um, and you know he wanted to repay that back to G as well so there was that that dynamic but um, you know he, he basically he kept this club um, you know up there punching above its weight for for the seven years that he was here John, when uh, Voth first came in uh, to this club, he, he came in off the back of um, a season where the fans were pretty annoyed at the lack of physicality uh, within the club. When Voth came in to, to, uh, in that initial season, he really gave a kind of spark back to, to, the, to the fans, even from day one, didn't he? 
he he did. Um, you know, I remember early on that season, we played uh, London and and you know Dennis Maxwell, Dennis Maxwell's London races, and I think Brad had a couple of fights, and Regan Derby had a fight, and I think one of them was the poster on the Wales National Ice Rink in the in the last season, and. Um, I, I thought he was fantastic that first year. I think he might have been Ed Patterson's last signing. Ed was was waiting for the right guy, someone can maybe play third line minutes, put up some points, and and be a, a an enforcer. He he was far more than that. Um, you know, look, a, anyone who saw my team graphic go up knew that I I didn't put Brad in in, <laughs> in, in my team. So there there needs to be a little bit of explanation for that. I think Brad Voth was. He was he he was so important to Cardiff Devils keeping going. From a hockey point of view, he was a superb player. For for me, I kind of bookend his years from Wales National Ice Rink to the end of the world record year. I think he was phenomenal. The last few years for me got a little bit um and through maybe no fault of his own. He 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 became the pantomime villain amongst the league. He was targeted by referees. Um injuries that maybe were 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 were, were catching up with him. And and the other reason I didn't put him in my team and any anyone listening, and again, I've I've already explained I'm 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 the arsehole of the group. Um the, the other reason <laughs> why the other reason why I didn't put him in my team, and it was so unfair on him and it's so unfair on 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 G and Franny, but again it goes back to my whole thing of 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 the devils needing to win a league title every year. That that that's my goal. We probably couldn't then. And, and maybe I, I think I just felt a little bit bitter. And I don't think this was the case in the locker room, certainly not with someone like Neil Francis and, and, and Jared Adams and, and not Brad Boff, but maybe amongst the fan base, entertainment became a little more important than winning. And I think maybe I felt a bit bitter about that. And, and, and probably I, I, I associate Brad a little bit with that, which is, which is wholly unfair because Todd Kelman will tell you he tried to sign Brad Voth every year. And I, I think Sheffield tried to sign Brad every year. <laughs> So as a hockey player, I need to I need to kind of take Brad away and 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 think of him as the hockey player in his own right, rather than you know wrap him all up with with everything going on at the club at the time, uh, and me being the petulant kid who expects to compete for a league title every year. So I think I'm probably a little harsh on 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 Brad in that set. I think probably from the the Wales national ice rink the year to the end of the world record year. What was there a more dominant player in the country? Maybe not. You know, you had Calder and Carlson who were different in their own way. Um, but but yeah, of course, Brad Both absolutely deserves to 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 to, to be there. But you know, I got to be honest, he was not my team graphic, and and I have to say, I'm probably a little hard on Brad because of that whole. I think the Devils' culture became more about entertainment than it was about winning. But it probably had to be because we 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 needed to keep going and, and we didn't have the resource and we needed people to come into our building. And why would you go to the big blue tent? Well, Brad Voth gave you a reason to go to the big blue tent. Yeah, so I, even, I, if, even if you disagree with me now, which you should, everybody should disagree with me. Hopefully I've given <laughs> a reasonably eloquent argument um, as, as to my viewpoint. And I'll, I'll put on record that I wholeheartedly disagree with you, Good. JD. Just, as just you for should, Franny. <laughs> I'm going to go on the record the same way. <laughs> Good. I, I think the one thing that we've got to remember about um, about Vatha and you know the point you make about all the fighting and the entertainment, he didn't really want to do it. It's not no. something that he enjoyed. It was always in reaction to something that had happened, 
you know, the times when we've talked about it before, when he had to fight off the bat, it was never his best ones. I think yep. it was Cornish, there was Cloutier, there was McMorrow off the bat. But you fight him in the midst of battle for his teammates, and it's a different animal that you're fighting. So, you know, he had done the fighting thing in North America and would quite happily have just played, but that's not in his nature to, to sit back and watch teams that are, you know, bigger budget, that are, you know, bigger resumes come into his own rink and, and bully his team. He just wasn't going to have it. And, uh, you know, and that's, uh, you know, he went with everybody. Every, yeah. no, every team every team tried to sign somebody bigger and tougher than Brad Voth and he went with them all and some of them were bigger and tougher but in terms of overall contribution nobody matched him because you know nobody had the hits that he did nobody had 20 goals a year like he did mm-hmm. um, you know nobody had the presence that you know from friends that are on other teams they're all talking about watch out for Voth watch out for Voth he'll kill you he'll you know, he'll steal your money. He'll cut your head off. He'll you know run over your <laughs> man. He'll you know they they will whatever they were saying about him before the game. Those rumors you know? are unfounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should, I should point that out. He did not steal any money <laughs> or, or run over nans. But, no, uh, run over nans. <laughs> no. But if you're on the ice, he'd run you over. But you know the fact that everyone was talking about him before a game psychologically put us in a good place. You know to start every game and. Uh, you know, I, I think his contribution to hockey in Cardiff is immeasurable. I was going to add to that something as well that he's also great in the community of hockey in Cardiff as well. Not only mm-hmm. about in the schools, but with the um, when they started the the learn to play program, play the game, the juniors, um, the comets. He was always out with the with the kids and out with those programs as well, and and really engaging in that from that perspective. So not only on the ice was he a marketing tool for the club but in the communities and things like that he he was a an absolute legend can i can i sorry gaz can i just come back on what what franny said there because i guess that's my point regarding brad i i hated it when when it became big bad brad voth i i like hockey player brad voth hockey hockey player brad voth with his ability to hit and change a game and his and his reach and his his decent skating ability he had hell of a shot i remember again a playoff final we we lost to Nottingham, but he, he scored a go-ahead goal at the end of the second period, and it was an yeah. unstoppable bullet shot into the corner. I, 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 my, 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 not criticism of Brad Voth, but my, my, my reluctance maybe to put him in my team is nothing to do with with. It's it's very unfair on Brad because it's not of his making. Hockey player Brad Voth would would get in my team. I almost I hated the way he had to become. Um, the marketing guy that we had to market around him, that big, bad Brad Voth come to a game because you might see a Brad Voth fight. I guess that was the thing that stuck in my teeth a little bit. And, and as you say, he probably, he didn't want to be that guy. Hockey player, Brad Voth, I thought was a, a superb hockey player. Yeah. He, he would have enjoyed the world record year, you know, more than any season here because, you know, he, he did take the least of his penalty minutes during that year because we were so good. He didn't have to fight. And, you know, anything was a, he didn't have to kind of get that spark or get that retaliation going because we were just so dominant during that year. Um, you know, I, I think you're maybe judging him on circumstance that's out of his control because... Exactly you know, right. Exactly yeah. right. 
Yeah, which is which is unfair, and which is why he he deserves to 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 be in this team. But it would be wrong of me to have not put him on my team graphic and then not offered an explanation why. <laughs> I think though now we've um, we've been able to change your mind, and now you can change it. I, no, I do. I do think he deserves to be in the team. I, again, I, it's it's my view of that era, and and I just hated not being a league title contender. And that's not a criticism because we were punching above our weight. One year we were a league title, and that and that's to do with Jared Adams and, and Neil Francis, which is why I'm glad Franny's in this Legends team. The one thing I disagree with Franny and Todd Kelman about, I think G should have been in this team outright, but I, I understand we're doing the player coaches uh, thing because I think G was a, <laughs> a hell of a, a hockey player. But yeah, I think I'm probably judging Brad on circumstance and that, that that's really unfair. So I, I, as a as a hockey player, I think he's he's got every every right to be in this team. And, and, and to quote Franny, from both my side of the hockey player and, and also the marketing side when we needed something to hang our hat on, Probably his contribution to Cardiff is is immeasurable. So Brad Voth is the uh, last uh, of the on ice picks for the Elite League early years. He left the Devils with a Challenge Cup, a Knockout Cup, and a world record under his belt. Um, Franny, if he does come back, just remind him he has to grow the hair because you know when a band comes back, you got to play the hits, and uh, yes. no one likes Brad Voth for sure. Hey, so uh, kind of grow the hair or get a wig, you know. But you got to get. And, and I and I would have accepted, I'd have accepted that as a better reason for not putting him in the team. The fact <laughs> that he, he cut his hair than the reasons that JG's given. Hey, this podcast would be boring if I didn't. Talk <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so yeah, we end as we do with every year with a coach, and you know, there's absolutely no other person we could have put in this slot. Uh, the coach is Jared Adams, a man who had to coach under unimaginable situations at times. He had to contend with ownership changes, ice rinks that were not fit for purpose. I, Franny, you could give out a whole host of other issues he would have come across. But despite all of that, he comes out with a uh, British knockout cap and a remarkable Guinness world record, along with keeping the Devils a competitive force in the Elite League during his entire tenure. A man I would have loved to have seen lift a league title, a man who probably, you know, for the, for the sake of one more point, would have. G is a, a devil's legend in my eyes, someone I have immeasurable respect for. You were there with him for the majority of his journey. Tell us all about Jared Adams. Yeah, I mean, he, again, I don't think you can give enough credit to G for what he did during that time. And, it, you know, it, it does often slip under the radar. Um, you know, one of the key factors why we weren't competitive was budget. You know, we were playing out of this small rink, you know, bad facility. Um, we didn't have um, owners pumping the money in and everything was done on a shoestring and, and G somehow kept it together by, you know, first of all, there was good recruitment and recruitment, you know, he sort of started off that recruitment of good guys before good players. And then that 
kind of builds a team and, and that's something that we've carried on to this day and uh, with, with success. Um, when guys were in, as, as strict and as harsh as G could be, he had respect. I mean, remember again, he was a player coach for the majority of his Cardiff career. Um, so people could see him doing his thing on the ice and, um, you know, and leading by example that way but also the respect he gave the players that he brought in to be able to play the game their own way, gave them sort of uh, license to, to do what they could do best. Uh, and guys enjoyed playing for him. And that was the reason why our player retention was fairly good even back then under the most trying circumstances with not much money on offer. Um, the city was one thing, but having G as the coach, you know, is G coming back? Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll come back. You know, that was... Um, quite often what the conversations were with, with some of these guys like, uh, you know, Vatha and, and Stu McRae and, and Max. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that he was, he was a player coach and, and was so successful with, with the team, and yes, we didn't win a league trophy with G, but we never should have because of the, the budget differences, you know, in terms of um, what we were up against. Um, but the fact the hockey was entertaining, you know, there was uh, constant, um, you know, recruitment of good players and, and you know, fan favourites coming through the doors. Um, and it was just, you know, the, the spirit in which he operated, the, the respect that he had. I mean, I, I know that there was times when we were short for our last player and G would take a wage cut to get that player on our team. You know, that just shows the guy, shows what guy he is. Um, you know, the fact that he would sometimes give up his team car and he'd get a different car, you know, because he gave it to the last import coming in, you know, things like that. When we didn't have the luxury of going to a Steve King and saying, hey, we got this really good guy that we can get if we can get a bit more money. There, there wasn't any of that available. So he found ways himself of, of doing it and keeping us competitive. And, uh, you know, again, Cardiff Hockey owes a, owes a lot to Jared Adams. Gonna say the uh, the on ice players would go for a wall for G. The off ice staff would go through a wall for G, as well. Um, everyone held him in such a high, high esteem uh, around the rink. He he generally was just a great person. Yeah, and and JD, I mean, you you, you made a, a sort of kind reference to me there as well. One thing that again I should mention about G is that, you know, he gave me my first um, opportunity in the coaching circles. Um, and one of G's great, great strengths was he was happy to delegate responsibility. So sometimes I get some, you know, some credit for bringing in some of the players that um, might be on this list or, you know, might be talked about in, in other of our podcasts about the players. And yes, I, I did sort of, do that kind of thing but the only reason I could do that is because the trust that G placed in me that he would take my recommendation he you know I would bring guys to the table and say I think this is the guy and these are my reasons why and he said well okay I, I trust that you know let's go for it you know he didn't question me or he didn't go nah it's not my guy and uh and and sort of throw it away so you know on a the, the double act that we had was very much built on his trust of me and the fact that he wasn't a micromanager. He would 
give people the freedoms. And he did that with me on the bench, you know, he was the, the coach and I was stepping in his shoes on the, the match night to, to run the bench. But very, very rarely did he turn around and overrule me, which is the easiest thing to do when you're, mm-hmm. you know, with your, you're the boss and you've got somebody making a decision that you didn't agree with. There's no way I got all the decisions right. Far from it. But he, he kind of, he had put me in that role and he sort of went with, with, you know, the things that I was saying in that role. So, you know, that's something that I owe him massively is that, you know, in that, from that very first, I think it was nine games in charge at the end of the season when I was injured, and I, I just was going to be a pair of eyes on the bench. And, you know, that summer he said, look, I've got an idea here. Um, you carry on doing what you were doing there and I'll carry on doing what I was doing in terms mm-hmm. of being on the ice. And, and you know, and that happened for, for the next, I think, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, you know, he put that trust in me that gave me confidence that on the bench I could make in-game changes if I wanted to, or I could, you know, call the personnel that I wanted to mm-hmm. without having to sort of second-guess myself that you would do if there was a, a, a coach, a head coach, that didn't agree with you because then that just puts you in a whole load of muddle and, uh, and you don't make efficient decisions. I think that's a really interesting insight, Franny, and probably one we've, 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 we've not had before. I think, first of all, I would say about G, I, I, again, going back to my team graphic, I had him on my team. And I, and I think with all these, and I think we're going to talk about Andrew Law shortly. You need to differentiate the player from the coach. Jared Adams as a player, I thought was superb in his own right. As a coach, if we're just going to talk about the coaches, they all had unbelievable challenges. You know, Lawless, okay, he had the the, the blank sheet of paper, but he had to build a club. It could have been a, a, a huge failure. Heavey had to follow Lawless. Lord probably had to deal with the greatest amount of expectation. G maybe didn't have that expectation, but I must admit, I'd rather be in the shoes of Lawless, Heavey, and, and, and Lord and have money to spend and know the paychecks coming in every week um than probably than g and 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 yourself franny so that that, that's my huge admiration for 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 for, for g that he was able to keep a dressing room together when maybe the circumstances in cardiff weren't as rosy as 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 they might be and maybe the paychecks weren't coming in uh every uh every month um and and i look i i I, I, again we've talked about it and i think the way it ended was 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 pretty horrible um and you know it, it was whilst you never want Sheffield to win a late league title I do begrudge G uh, uh getting it with Sheffield you, you can't really begrudge G the, the 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 man from 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 getting it but I think he's someone who um did so much for for, for, for the Cardiff Devils but again um I, I don't want to think of him just as the coach I, I think as a player in this era he was he was absolutely uh, outstanding I've got a, a question for you about it about his coaching because I don't think he gets enough credit for the way he could develop players and turn them around. Some examples I'm thinking Sylvain de Chatelet had a terrible start. He turns it around and ends up, you know, scoring a goal that takes us to the playoff finals weekend. Mike Hartwick probably had a, a slow start, but ends up becoming one of the best stay-at-home D-men around Ben Davis is brought through this time. Alex Simmons looks an elite league player under Jared Adams. What was it about his coaching that, that, that kind of 
was able to bring something out of players in this league to build them back up or indeed develop them. Uh, I, I think one one thing that I haven't mentioned, you know, is that G always had your back as a player. Um, so you talk about the Sylvan de Chatelet incident. Um, G was told to sack de Chatelet. De Chatelet was gone, and G said, "No, let's. Can you give me? You know, we'll give him his two weeks notice. You know, there's that. I think the bit that we might have talked about before, or might not have." where de Chatelet asked to, to work his two weeks notice, G went back to the management and said, he wants to work his two weeks notice and prove himself. And I want him to do that. I still believe in him. And, you know, G worked with him on the things that you know, weren't going so well with him and, um, you know, and built him back up into, you know, the fantastic player that he ended up being, that, that you know, that, that G knew he would be. Um, you know, with the youngsters coming through again, he, when, you, when you're a young guy coming through, there's a lot of pressure on you not to make mistakes. And I think if you play in fear of making mistakes, then you're, you're doomed to failure. Um, where G gave them the confidence to, to go out and play, you know, he's brought them up. If, you, if you've been brought up, then you're good enough. Um, so he, he did that. You know, again, a young Josh Batch came in under, under G. You mentioned Alex Simmons. Who did those guys partner up with? G put yeah. himself with them. Yeah. You know, that, that's what he did. He didn't say, right, okay, I'm going to hide this guy down. He's like, right, I'll play with him. And if you're playing with G, you know, straight away, he's giving you the confidence because he's got your back. He's also going to keep it nice and simple for you. He's going to communicate well to you. And, you know, he brought those guys on by playing alongside them as well. So, um, you know, those are all those softer skills that people probably didn't appreciate, um, but, you know, all go to making him the, uh, the guy that he is. Probably why he's successful now in the career that he's, he's in. Yeah, and he's, a, he's somebody else that we're going to have to have on here to tell yeah. us a bit about what he's doing. I think his website, jaredadams.com, uh, he's doing management training now. Um, you know, he went from a sporting world in a, a management role to a, a corporate world into a very, very different, you know, role in, in a finance department of all things. And that's something that, that G would hold his hands up and say, what wasn't his strengths, but they loved his, the management side of it. And from that, he's gone on to, to be like a specialist management uh, training. I know some companies that are, um, that are working with him and how effective he's been, um, with them as well so it's very interesting to see how he's transitioned all those strengths all those good things that we've talked about into the into the corporate world and um you know transferable skills right there all he has to do is play this the Saskatchewan. i can never say it pirates the last Saskatchewan pirate. pirate walk into a training room play that then you buzzed for the day <laughs> well i would love to see g back in in hockey in some capacity um it's been a a poorer place in the elite league with, without jared adams and uh yeah i i really would like him to come on and tell us all about the, the good times and the wacky times and the signing deadlines i'm sure is another one i'd love to hear <laughs> from yeah. you guys and uh talk about, went to the wire i'm sure yeah we'll talk about the hitman and the millionaire 
that's a, that's a lovely character dangle there. The hitman and the millionaire coming soon to a behind the bench episode. But Jared Adams, the coach of the early years of the Elite League, and such a, a, a worthy recipient. I, I can't wax lyrical enough for the respect for that man. So, Jim, we're here to our final era. The current era, still referred to as the new era, still feels new, still feels fresh. And uh, this was a real tough one to, to narrow down. Um, probably um, the uh, position we're going to talk about first is the, the position that was kind of nailed on the most due to the being, uh, you know, one man who's stamped his place in, in devil's folklore and stamped his authority in this position, the netminder is Ben Barnes. And John, I'll start with you. Ben's CV of trophies, if you were to look at that number of championships and you saw nothing else, you didn't see a nationality, you didn't see a name, you would snap up that person in an instant, wouldn't you? Oh, you, 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 you would, and um, I think we've spoken about this before. And, and uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll bow to Franny's insight, but, but two games really stand out for me for, for, for Ben. And before going on to that, you know, he's a new era goalie, but he wasn't a new era signing. If, if memory serves, he, 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 he'd been signed previous to that. And credit to, to Andrew Lord and Todd Kelman and, and, and Franny and everyone for, for staying with him. I, I think. I think there was a plan uh, if, if um, previous owners had, had, had stayed. I think maybe Sylvain Cloutier was, 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 was potentially coming down as, as, as coach to the Devils and he, he was looking to bring Ben Bounds down. So Ben Bounds was, was, was signed prior to the new era, but the new era stuck with him. But then you're under immediate pressure because you're the, you're the guy who, who um, you know, we're already in. You're a British netminder and, and British netminders don't always get a, a, a fair rubber the green and I think his coming of age party was was that challenge cup final in Sheffield um and just as soon as we we he was fantastic in that game but then as soon as we won that game and and he knew he was now a a title winning netminder I think Ben Bounds uh, it just went to another level and a, a, a you know something just kicked in a, a a flick switch what have you and then in, in, in defeat, and I've, I've talked about it before, but in, in 33, 34 years of watching British ice hockey, that, that Challenge Cup final against Nottingham, um, when, when Evan Mosey scored the winner for Nottingham, I don't think I've seen a, a, a finer performance of, of, of net minding um, in the whole time. And that, that includes all the errors that I'm talking about and some great names like you know, Rob Dobson and Wayne Cowley and Stevie Lyle and Frank Caprice and all these people. The, the best net man, minding display I've ever seen in, in, in 30 plus years was Ben Bounds in the Challenge Cup final against uh, 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 Nottingham. And, and again, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not someone who, who, who can break down fantastically the technicalities of, 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 of net minding, but he seems to have a nice mixture of, of, of not, you know, moving too much but also a good reactionary netminder can make a, you know, I've seen him make great world-class glove saves. Um, you know, he'll challenge the shooter. He'll use his quite, you know, big presence. So he's, he's got a mixture of everything and, and, and Franny can probably expand on that. But um, 
you know, if, if, he, if he happened to be available or he happened to be the opportunity to be a Cardiff Devil again in the future, I'd, I'd take him every day of the week and, and twice on a Sunday. I, th- I think what you've got to look at with Bounty is you mentioned all the championships, right? So straight away that, that stands out is that he's been not just the starting netminder, but in a league where you've got one netminder and a backup that is there for emergencies. So he's played in those six years or whatever it was, he's played pretty much all the games, you know, all the big games, and has won not just the league, which you can hide behind if you're a netminder, if you've got a good team in front of you, but also the one-off games as well, Mm -hmm. where you need your netminder. Because, you know, every sort of cup final game needs a strong performance from their netminders. And he's won all those, you know. So that tells you the quality of it. He is a championship winning netminder. There's no bones about it. You know, he had, when he first came in, you're right, he was, he was signed by Dave Whistle, actually, um, when Dave Whistle was to be the head coach. And there was a list of about six players and... Um, we didn't feel the other guys fitted in, but Bounsy was somebody that we, before we'd even seen the list, we were considering um, because we'd had, you know, success with Stevie Lyle as a British goalie. And then it gives you the extra import outskater. And we wanted to get that depth on the outskaters. And we probably couldn't attract the British talent as we could attract the imports because for the imports, it kind of was more of an unknown for the British players. We were, tarnished a little bit in what had happened the year before so so Bounty was somebody that had been discussed and then when we saw the list um that uh they got passed down to say look these are the guys that I've verbally agreed with um you know we looked at Bounty and we said yeah let's let's go for, for for this guy you know he's done well on a on a low budget bottom place team in terms of keeping hulling games that they shouldn't have been anywhere near so, you know, he's somebody that's young enough for us to, to build around and, and credit to Todd. Um, he went in that, when, you know, that um, session in the, uh, the Reardon Smith Theatre, when we announced the, the first few players and Steve King was there, uh, you know, he announced Ben Bounds as somebody we we're going to build this club around. And true to his word, he did. You know, he had the, the foresight through Steve King's connections to get Ben Bounds across to Canada every summer to uh, you know, and invested in him. And I think that was a huge thing for Bounty to know that somebody was willing to invest in him. Uh, and then that got repaid where Bounty invested back into the club. Um, but he didn't start off overly great. And I think, you know, a couple of stern words were had with him in terms of needing to um, fix maybe his concentration levels if we're going to be successful and, you know, he went away and made some changes and, and did that. And then for the second half of that season was superb. And like say that Challenge Cup final, it's a, you know, it's a 2-1 game, you know, and, and that, that takes good net mind in. Um, and he just rolled from then on in. He got the taste for, for winning championships and, you know, is now one of the most competitive um, players that, that I know that, you know, that can't think of anything else apart from winning championships. Absolutely, and um, of course that that uh, attitude has spilled into the international stage as well. He's a poule goalie, getting sort of highlight real interviews uh, from TSN. 
they uh, they can't believe what they, they're seeing as well. Um, not just the technical side of it, though, Franny, I would say that for me, Ben was someone who also seemed to relish growing as a, a voice in the locker room as well and growing as, as a leader um, off the ice as well as honing the technical side of his game on the ice. Definitely, we've seen that as the years have gone by. Where you know, when he first came in as a young guy from a you know a lower league, uh, sorry, a lower placing team in the league. Um, actually, probably Hull weren't that year, were they? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's actually taking a step down. Yeah, he's taking a step yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what I mean. Uh, and and being a British netminder in a in a league dominated by import netminders and. Uh, you know, he, he came in and was sort of just trying to blend in. But as his confidence grew, as his stature grew, um, he became very much a leader in that dress room and is now, you know, very vocal. I mean, he always had his terrible sense of humour and uh, always had to be aware of him calling out your name in a funny accent and turning around and, and those kind of stuff. But, um, you know, fr from being lighthearted, but, you know, he... he, he his um, his compete and everything like that is infectious um, and it rubs off. And I, I think that's the, one of the things that makes him the championship goalie is that he doesn't give up on pucks. I say I would say that's his biggest strength because he is a big goalie, so he's naturally not going to be the most agile goalie. Although I think he's got incredible agility for somebody his size, um, but it's the fact he doesn't give up on those pucks. And how many times have we seen? an empty net and then his paddle goes up and stops it. And he did it on uh, the Jack Hughes in, uh, in the world championships. And uh, I think the other guy, Quinn or whatever his name is um, that made all the headlines. Um, but uh, I think that's, that's his, his biggest asset is he doesn't give up on pucks. Um, and that just shows that the sort of competitive nature that's, that's come through being part of that, that winning organization. So Ben Bangs takes the first spot on this roster. Um, yeah, what can we say? So, so many trophies, the backbone, the foundation of all of the, the great teams in the new era and uh, only got in trouble once. And that's because John asked him a question about Sheffield that he uh, responded controversially about. So once again, John Donovan getting people in trouble <laughs> for otherwise spotless records. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> to the defence in front of him and uh, this uh, first defenceman is someone who probably on paper you didn't necessarily expect to be as influential as they were a strong CV for sure but when you're looking at back-to-back -back player of the year awards and scoring charts and Big game goals. Andrew Hotham is the first defenseman of this new era team. And guys, for me, possibly wow, top something, most influential Devils players of all time. Yeah, I, I, the fact he was four-time league Defenseman of the Year in his four in each of his four in each of his four seasons he won that award. Plus he was league MVP as well. Um, 
you know, he was running Joey Martin for the league top scorer, you know, which was, which was ridiculous. Um, when we were recruiting him, um, we did get warned. When you're looking at the video, you might kind of wonder what all the fuss is about and why I'm going to speak so highly about this player because he's got this almost awkward style. Skatings is not a strong point, but if there's a guy uh, with poise, which is so important in the class players that you need to kind of break games. He's got that poise where, you know, he'll know when to hang on to the puck and when to, to give it, um, you know, like I say, what a big game player. Um, nasty as well. You know, he had a <laughs> tough, tough side to him. You know, it's not often that your offensive defenseman would be a number one or number two choice to see out a game. But Hoffman and Richie, every time you'd put him out there, wouldn't you, to see out a game because, you know, they could both give you that quality in your own end. Um, and I just do not think, as much as I begged him to, to have one more year and, you know, don't, <laughs> don't go out like this, there's more to come. What a way for that guy to go out. Game-winning goals in the league championship and the playoff final. It, it, it's, it couldn't be more fitting. You forget as well that that league-winning goal was in the final minute of the game. To go coast to coast. Yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. final minute to seal things. You know, it wasn't like going coast to coast with 10 minutes to go and you know, you're holding on. That's someone who just must be just supremely confident in their own abilities. Yeah, he, he you know, he... he... I think he's the best defenseman to 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 play for the Devils. Um, uh, but, but I'd put Mark Richardson up there with him. But I think he's the best defenseman to play for the Devils in terms of all facets of his game. Um, you know the toughness, the net front battles. You know he's 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 not a Gleason Fournier skater type, as as Franny said. Um, but but he can he obviously provides that huge offensive upside. I think what what's interesting to me and and. He, you only sense this, Gaz, from from being around the, the the bench area. That that probably maybe along with Charles Longley, maybe a player that Andrew Hotham almost had to bite his tongue or curb his style because he knew just how good Andrew Hotham was, and and maybe all, he he didn't always fit into that systems type player that Andrew Lord wanted. He was a, he was a game breaker, but Andrew Lord knew the the importance of that, and and I think those two you know from 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 a distance just just having the 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 lovely access that we did in the bench area you, you, i think andrew lord kind of found an arrangement with 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 andrew hotham that that, that suited both parties um, very very well very well put because there's one thing that andrew hotham didn't do and that was bite his tongue because that's just not in his nature so if if andrew hotham was thinking it andrew hotham would say it and i think andrew hotham is the only person that would get away with that from Andrew Lord. Yes, yes, I, I suspected as much, but I think that just showed his 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 worth to the team. And um, uh, yeah, I I think um, yeah, Come on, I, I just the game breaker. That that, that that's yeah. my he, he's he's the guy you want on to to, to break a game wide open. Yeah, I, I would say he couldn't be further from an Andrew Lord type player. However, <laughs> he would probably be Andrew Lord's number one pick on his side or you know number yeah. two pick or whatever it is because he hated training he really kind of <laughs> just got through training yeah. he wasn't particularly fond of being told what to eat and you know, the <laughs> diet side of things he definitely <laughs> wasn't going to be encouraged to jump in the cold tub and foam roll 
uh, <laughs> and everything that all the others kind of followed Lordo's lead to do. Um, you know, and the looks that Hoth would give Lordo when he was doing all his pre-game stretching and, you know, weird routines that he did, you know, and not just the looks, because Hoth would definitely have said something out loud. <laughs> but he couldn't, been, he couldn't be less of an Andrew Lord type player, but boy, was Andrew Lord, you know, delighted that he was with us. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I would put Andrew Hotham as the best Devils defenseman of all time. Franny, just to hit that point, do you sometimes need that in successful teams? That one guy that kind of goes to the beat of his own drum, but, you know, you know that he's going to deliver. And does it keep everyone else a bit more on, on their toes a little bit? Is it is it a vital part of the chemistry? Definitely. I think if you have too much of the same thing, if you have everybody that's kind of robotic is probably the wrong word, but... You know, everybody's toe in the line, then I think it becomes a little bit too clinical. Um, you, I think Hotham probably said things that a lot of guys might have been thinking and wouldn't dare say, <laughs> you know, and that lifted the mood because everybody could then laugh at Hotham saying it. And, you know, Hoth had, a, had wide shoulders and he didn't really, really care that much. Um, so it was always good entertainment value. And, you know, that is a, a huge thing uh, across the season. Um, but, you know, as, as much as, you know, I'm sort of painting him maybe to be a bit controversial in the, in the locker room, you know, there was nobody with a more serious game face uh, than Andrew Hotham. You know, when it came to the, the crunch moments, you know, he, he would, he, you know, he would pull everybody into line when it was time to go to battle. So, uh, you know, a great, great guy to have on the team. And like I say, you know, he's not going to win any awards for training and his, his off-ice preparation, he left that to his D partner, Richie. Um, and then, you know, Richie was the, the you know, great compliment to him. Um, but Andrew Hotham was the guy that you wanted in those big moments. Yeah. So Hotham takes the first defensive spot. And uh, when he left the club, uh, there was a, a hole to be filled. And uh, filled it was indeed by our next member of the greatest devil team of all time, uh, Mr. Highlight Reel himself, Gleason Fournier, is the second defenseman. Eight championships during a four-year spell with the club. And as I mentioned, highlight upon highlight of goals, uh, assists, Gleason Fournier, John, is the type of player that when you leave at the end of the night, you're glad you paid your ticket money to watch. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, entertainment factor, despite what I said earlier, I guess is, is, is important. And, and he is an entertaining player to, 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 to watch. But <laughs> he, he, more than that, he, he was the top-class hockey player. You know, I think we all know that we were worried every year that come Champions League time that Gleason Fournier after the Champions League wouldn't be with us. Or even if we had a preseason friendly against the likes of Zagreb, Gleason Fournier wouldn't be with us because of his skating ability. You know, you, you, there's been a lot of good players in, in, in the British League in all the eras we've spoken about, but maybe the reason they've been in the British League and, and haven't quite played higher is, is maybe they're not quite, a, 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 don't have that skating ability. 
a Gleason Forney had the skating ability to, to play at a, the probably the highest possible level. And, and again, coming through that Detroit system, Detroit for so many years scouted so well because they didn't have particularly high draft picks, but their scouting system was, was absolutely superb. So for Gleason Fournier to be picked or, or part of that Detroit system is, is testament to, 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 to him. I think he really, the year Hotham left and, and Andrew Lord said, yes, replacing Andrew Hotham will be done by committee. But we all knew it wasn't going to be. We all knew that Gleason Fournier had to be the guy to, to step up and, 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 and do it. And that was a lot of pressure. And yeah, and did, did you think, yeah, did you think, JD, that he would step up in that, in that way, though? I wondered whether he had the... the uh, I, I, Gleason Fournier, because, you know, again, my, my awful commentary and Gaz will testify to it. In the first couple of years, Fournier was box office, but I described him as, as high risk, high reward. Whereas I think when Hotham left, he almost not toned it down, but but his management of the game be, be, became you know the the, the turnovers um, almost disappeared, um, and his ability to play minutes and, and and shut down minutes where previously he wasn't used in that role. So honest answer, Franny, no, I probably didn't think he he was going to be that that guy who could step up and replace Andrew Hotham. I, I thought they were top-class players, both of them, but I thought Fournier was a, a different kind of player. But the fact that he did, I think, in my eyes, elevated him to a, a, an even higher level. Yeah. Right. Can you put that down to the Mark Richardson? Because I was similar to JD, but then he's seen, seen with, with, with Richie, having Richie's presence there, he just went up to that other level and some of the things that might have been highlighted before with some of the weaknesses just suddenly disappeared and I think you can put a lot of that down to Mark. Yeah it, that's a good point it is a good point um, I, I you know I was one of the ones that thought we were going to have to replace Hotham by committee because I just thought he was irreplaceable but you know from if you look at direct points output replacement Hotham did that in fact I think Hotham beat um, sorry, Fawns did that in terms of replacing Haas point of output. And I think that Fawns, you know, beat it at least one year. Um, so, which is incredible, ridiculous, you know, considering what we've just said about Andrew Hotham. But um, what impressed me, I, I, you know, I was really surprised, delighted and everything else that uh, Fawns stepped up in the way he did. And I think it was a step up. Um, but what stepped up for me, it wasn't just his offensive output, but it was his overall game. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about last minutes of games, you know, Andrew Hotham being the guy that you wanted on the ice to shut down the game. Fawns took on that role and did it really well. You know, he was remarkably robust for such a good skater that you think is a finesse player. Yeah. But you see him go into the corner and crunch people. And, uh, you know, he, so he had that kind of side to his game as well you never ever saw Gleason Fournier get hit out of a game. Now, of course he's going to be targeted because if you're, if you know what Gleason Fournier can do and you're an opposite coach, you're telling your wingers, getting on him, getting on him hard. But every time he did that, uh, Fawn stepped up the physical side of his game as well. And, you know, that quickly went away because Fawn stood up for himself and, uh, you know, put in some big hits himself. So I, I, my honest answer is I didn't expect, um, Fawns to step up as much as he did and you know hats off to him for doing that because you know he was the league's best demon two years in a row after Hotham was the best demon four years in a row yep just another quick one for Andy on on Gleason from where, where he actually came from 
Um, I think he, when he came to Cardiff, would it be right to say he had lost a little bit of confidence in in his hockey and love for hockey? And and one of the reasons he stayed for a while is Cardiff gave him that love of the sport back, and that also was coming through then in the in the latter couple of seasons. Yeah, so so I think it's quite common for guys coming over from North America. Um, you know, they've got this dream of making the NHL and, you know, you look at Fawns' skating and you know, that's NHL skating right there. That, that really is. And, you know, you reference when we played, uh, JD reference, sorry, when we played Zagreb in uh, KHL team in preseason, I thought he was the best player on the ice on, on both teams, you know, and we nearly lost him to Zagreb. Um, so he's, he probably, you know, like any North American growing up wanted to make the NHL. I think maybe unfortunate that he got himself into the Detroit system at the time because it was so good and there were so many people ahead of him in the depth chart that he didn't get that opportunity because who knows you know, what way his career could have gone in another organisation where he might have been called up and got shot. So he'd had his two years in Grand Rapids in the AHL. Um, he then ended up in the coast and I think maybe starting to get a little bit disillusioned that he wasn't getting the call-ups that he felt that he deserved and... Um, you know, there was another D-man in, in um, Alaska that was probably playing the big minutes ahead of him. Uh, so it was time for him to, to leave. So he left mid-season and came across to us. And, um, you know, it's something that we're finding out now when we're talking to new players about coming into Cardiff that, you know, people, there's only so much time that you can put in in the East Coast League because, you're constantly battling, not only against your opponents, but against your teammates because mm -hmm. you're trying to get up to that next level. And it's it's not really a team atmosphere. Um, and I think when you come into Cardiff, especially the team that we had in that first year, all of a sudden you've got a band of brothers around you and you've got that affinity, you've got that bond, um, you know, especially that first year group, like I said, with, that came from nowhere and took the league by storm. And he loved being part of that. And that was all, you know, um, what Hubs is talking about, where he got this affinity then with Cardiff. And, you know, he felt home here rather than just being in a place to, you know, to, to fill a spot. Um, he felt home here. He felt comfortable. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's been an absolutely fantastic signing for us. Indeed, a commentator's dream. For uh, <laughs> what he does on the ice. Just a, a quick story from me before we move on from Joe, from uh, Lisa Fournier is uh, I remember being down with the benches and Fee had been, had created a video in the week of uh, Fournier going coast to coast against Sheffield in a home game. And uh, Fournier walked past and he said, oh, don't, don't, please take that clip down. She said, why do you want to take the clip down? He went, it's just too easy. It was too easy what, what I did. <laughs> he went past about four players and shelved it. But he's, yeah. uh, he was unhappy that he hadn't had enough pressure. That, that so, might be in this week's Easter eggs. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, I didn't uh, even just, know. Uh, didn't a even reminder know. of the eggs. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the other half of that story, Gaz. Um, there was there was somebody else that told Fee to take it down, and that was uh, Andrew Lord. Because, <laughs> because because he was you know what Lord was like in terms of holding his cards close to yeah. his chest and uh, he's like why are we putting you know video clips out of uh, 
Fawn's going coast to coast. Yeah. They're going to be on him. Tend and like, yeah. Lordo, he does this every game anyway. <laughs> like, it, it, teams might teams know he's going to do it. They just can't stop him. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. and with respect, that Sheffield team would have been able to stop anyone going coast to coast <laughs> that year. <laughs> it's just it's just amazing that Guildford didn't twig earlier because the amount of coast to coast he had against <laughs> Guildford it was it was like a ritual, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, uh, but Reason Fournier finishes off the defense, you know, playoff winning goals as well. We could we could go on and on talking about what a what a great contribution to the Devils Gleason Fournier has made and delighted to see him on the list. To the forwards we go, and first up is a Cardiff Devils captain with nine championships in six seasons with the Devils. Of all the players we've mentioned during this list, he has been anointed the greatest of all of them by Mr. Neil Francis in the past. It is, of course, Joey Martin. Franny, why is Joey Martin the greatest devil of all time? Joey Martin is the greatest devil of all time because he has... It's not an English uh, exam essay, Franny. <laughs> 500 words or less. Yeah. I mean, no my, my, short, my, my short answer is because he is. He is the greatest yeah. devil of all time, full stop. So, but that would be a short answer. But to elaborate on that, um, you know, he came in and... There wasn't any expectation from the fans on it. The expectation was from Joey himself. I remember him coming to, to Lordo after the first couple of weeks and said, look, sorry about my performances. I'll get better. I'll get better. And we're like, oh, he's going to get better. We're, you know, we're pretty happy with him as it is. Um, and he did. Uh, you know, and he just, um, he just added the X factor to what was an already good roster. And he, he was that X factor player, that game breaker along with Hotham. Um, that, that did stuff that other players can't do, simply that. Um, I agree with you, JD, that next in line to Martin for, for the greatest of all time is Maria. Um, but I think that, that Marty just about edges it for uh, an all-round game. Um, you know, Maria's winning record is great, but I think Martin doing it in a better era... Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to say that Mario wouldn't have done it in this era, because I thought, I think, you know, the better the, the opposition, the better Mario was. Uh, and he proved that in Super League. But, you know, for Marty to win all those trophies and to be the best player on the team, league MVP, how many times? I don't know, two or three times, you know, shooing for league first team, all-star every time in such a good era. Um, that's why Joey Martin is the greatest of all time. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't disagree with any of that, Franny. I think an extraordinarily intelligent hockey player went went on the ice again. He you know maybe doesn't have the not a bad skater, but but doesn't have the skating ability of of, of Gleason Fournier. Obviously, doesn't have a huge physical presence, but just just reads the game so well. Um, can play make, uh, can dish the puck extraordinarily well. Knows where where players are kind of skating their routes and and can almost slow the game down to his pace to to, to make a pass or. Or let a you know a Hotham slide down the backside, or, or or somebody like that. But also a fantastic release as well. I think he's a two-way player. I think the defensive side of his game 
isn't overlooked as such, but because he's so good in the the offensive zone, you forget what a what a good uh, and sound defensive uh, player he is. He he just you know he when he's on the ice he he can run the shift. Um, you know a five on five shift, not just just power play. He'll 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 run a shift, and and if, if the Devils and the and Andrew Law, the Devils were so good at, at creating that cycle game, and if they could wear a team down on on that shift. And the puck went on Joey Martin's stick. Well, either he was going to find a, a killer pass, or he was going to put the puck in the the the, the net himself. And um, yeah, I just think you, you love watching. We mentioned Stuart McRae earlier, Steve Moria, Joey Martin. My, my favorite players um, are those guys where I, I just think they see the the ice probably uh, they they see a couple of moves ahead, or they they see the ice, or they could slow the ice down, or the play down on the ice. Those, those are the guys I like. Maybe I am more the the boring European style guy, but I, I like those heads up hockey players. And I think um, Steve Murray and Joey Martin are the two best heads up hockey players in Cardiff Devils history. And I, yeah, I, I, I who am I to disagree with Neil Francis that, that Joey Martin is the, is the best of all time. First, finally, we agree on something. But, <laughs> I, I, I think what makes it all better, you've got to take it into context as well, is that every opposition coach has told his team about Joey Martin. Everyone is, you know, everyone's got the warning, do not let Martin do this, that, and the other. Shut down Martin. Let's keep somebody on Martin the whole game. Um, and, you know, even with that, he still consistently was the top scorer on our team and the best player on our team. Even with that pressure, even with that attention from the opposition, everyone looking to shut him down, not, you know, it wasn't an unknown coming into the league who was doing good things. This was renowned best best player in the league, and he still carried on doing it. Franny, you say we never agree on anything. Who, who's who's your favourite centre half partner at football? <laughs> I like playing with James, <laughs> <laughs> but JD, me and you at the back. There we yeah. go. Ga- Gabadon and Collins back there. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so, Joey Martin, three-time EHL Forward of the Year, two-time Player of the Year. Should he have got that accolade a couple of more times, Fanny? Or you, Hotham and him in a sort of head-to-head race for that award a couple of times. Was Hotham right to get it? Was Joey overlooked? Oh, I think that one year, you know, it was fair to give it to Hotham because, you know, the, the points that he had from D uh, and, you know, the influence from back there. Um, but, you know, it was, I think it was a toss of a coin between those two, wasn't it? To, for most of the years on who would be the, the league MVP. And uh, of course, uh, the line of uh, Morissette, Lord Martin, the catalyst for a league title charge that first year and uh, challenge cup victory as well. He was always going to make this list. He does make this list. Joey Martin is our first forward of the new era. And alongside him, a namesake, a, another former guest on uh, Behind the Bench, so automatically that bumps you up the uh, reputation list. <laughs> um, a man who, again, has taken the, the, the city to his heart and when we were allowed to play hockey in this country, he had had his best season yet 
it's Joey Haddad, who is the second forward of the new era. Um, John, Joey Haddad, someone who was improving before the Elite League had to take its hiatus, and uh, who knows where that ceiling could have been for him. Oh, I love Joey. This this was my hardest um, choice, and again, I'm I, I'm the guy who didn't have a dad on my graphic. I could not <laughs> I I could not decide between Ulmer, Bentavolio, or her dad, and I changed it a few times. I had Ulmer in because I thought he he brought the winning culture. Um, I I had her dad in because there's not a best better puck protector I've seen um and and just you know on the cycle and, and things he could do and that fantastic release he's got um and i, I kind of settled on bentavoli and that's no disrespect to sean because he was kind of a mixture of the two the, the the really consistently uh good hockey player and and the winner as well but but i i couldn't separate them and, and joey haddad first of all you love him as a person and again gaz we 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 we're privileged enough to to interview these guys uh, a lot of these guys from the the new era and joey haddad is someone you always wanted to to talk to not least about conspiracy theories um <laughs> but, but as a as a as a as a hockey player I, I i yeah again he's the best um on his edges and his ability to turn and go either way and protect the puck down low um absolutely superb and he and he was getting better and, and i love the fact that he had that bounce back year because the year before people were maybe writing him off a little bit and he had had that injury in the chl and uh um you know people were saying has has, has joey had dad you know been a great servant for Cardiff devils but is it time to move on and he came back and he had a bounce back year and he scored those goals and um I, I couldn't be, you know, again, Joey Haddad, what I love about him as well, he can play anywhere on the lineup. If you want him to play a more of a physical game or a rink rack game, he could play a, a line two or even a line three, but he's got the skill and the release and the the, the, the whole all round game skating ability to, to also play as a top line player. I love him. I loved it when Lordo actually used him on the power play, particularly from the back end. Um, sometimes the armchair coaching me wanted Lordo to do that a bit more, but yeah, Joey, Joey Haddad, he can do a little bit of everything, but uh, probably, uh, along with Ryan Finity, the, the the two guys who who best for me protected the puck down low and allowed the Devils to get on the cycle, and just so effective at that. Yeah, and then there was no better example than that um, in the playoff final, wasn't it? Where uh, I think Sheffield had pulled the goal back, mm -hmm. and it, and it was getting a bit tight. And I, I will always remember that shift where her dad just literally said to the team jump on my back I've got this one boys and he got the puck in the corner and he just ragged the puck and nobody was getting off him the clock was going down and you could almost feel the you know Sheffield players looking at it going the game's slipping away we just can't get hold of this puck and you know that 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 shift for me won that sealed that playoff final um it was absolutely fantastic and yeah I mean it's it's been interesting all the different roles that her dad has played because you know we've got him on this line, but not not very often has he played on the Devils' top line, mm -hmm. you know. And that's not to say that you know your first line is you know your best line or whatever, but um, you know quite often he's been down the lineup on the third line. But you know, like when we were talking about the world record team, how important it is to have that depth scoring. Her dad's always given you that. And yeah, I mean, he, it's been interesting that he did have that bounce back year and he was having the best season of his time with us uh, in, in the season 
um, that was abandoned and, um, you know, second top, second top scorer in the league to Sam Hur, um, and just on fire, wasn't he? You know, with that, uh, that shot on his off wing. Yeah, I think he plays better as a right winger than he does as a left winger because he does open himself up for that that one time and he's got an absolute bullet. Um, but you know, somebody again that embraced the the culture in Cardiff and you know the the fans and and you know the affinity with the city and um, you know very popular teammates. Somebody that guys can just sit back and listen to and just absolutely kill themselves laughing because you know he's funny without him knowing it. Um, and there's another Haddad I would love to have had on the Devils team at one point, and that's Barkley Haddad, Haddad's dad. <laughs> um, because when I took, when I watch games with him, um, like you can just see the fire that he's got, and I think he was quite a fiery player. And uh, you know, he, you know, he talks through what he used to tell Joey when he was younger, and it's no, it's no uh, coincidence that Joey's turned into a hell of a player that he is with, you know, with a dad like. Uh, Barkley because uh, you know he's a hockey guy through and through again so um, but no I think you know you make good points about Bentavoglio and Ulmer because I think those were the cream that got us over the line when we needed people you know we needed to experience that getting over the line and they had that experience and they did that and I think you know we'll be forever in their debt for, for doing that but for me Haddad you know definitely edged it for his you know overall longevity of his contribution i guess yeah just another quick when you you mentioned it with uh with marty um franny with 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 uh joey especially last year coaches new especially on the power play joey haddad off wing hash marks or are we going to record them the the joey haddad scoring uh scoring marks no it's kitchen i believe we call it yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) chef and um but yeah every single game he was there score from there every single time so teams would know it yeah but they just couldn't stop it and and yeah i mean his his release is that quick that he doesn't you know he doesn't need much of a you know an opportunity to pull the trigger a lot of credit has to go for a guy that you know was quite criticized and um, and that's uh, sean mcmonagall um he was always the left hand side mm-hmm. d-man you know, that was playing at the top of the uh, the top of the diamond, if you like, at the top of the umbrella on the power play, um, who would, you know, make a, a fake and then throw it onto Haddad and, you know, feeding him right in the in the, in the the right train track sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that shot was so quick. Knowing that you were trying to stop it was one thing and stopping it was, was something else. So the hash marks in Cardiff are now called the kitchen. The kitchen, <laughs> yeah. I've always got a some sort of quirky memory of, of players, and for Joey Dad, it's, it's always a game we played in Sheffield and the quest for the first league title uh, that we won under this ownership. And Guy Doucette scored a goal, but in the run-up to the goal, Joey Dad flew into Levi Nelson with two fists, pretty much, rattled his head, Jan Schmeichel was the referee, looked right at it, did absolutely nothing. And Doucette just had a tapping basically because everyone kind of stopped because a dad absolutely <laughs> wiped Levi Nelson out. And for some reason, it just wasn't called. And I, I, John, I don't know if you remember it. We looked over the replay a, a fair few times. And I just, to this day, I don't know what Joey was thinking, 
throw in that sort of hit <laughs> at that time. I think he was just desperate to keep the puck in the zone. I don't know what Jan Schmeichel was thinking of calling it. And <laughs> fair play for Gidu set for just playing on and putting the puck away. So I think we won 5-2 in the end. And that was like to make us go 3-0 up. And uh, yeah, that was my quirky Joey your dad memory. <laughs> we roll on to the final forward, the final on-ice player of this endeavour. He is the most successful Devils captain of all time. In six seasons, won nine championships, seven of them with the C on his jersey. Someone who could score goals, block shots, master of the penalty shootout. Jake Morissette takes the final berth here. Franny iconic the images of me will always involve Jake Morissette you handing him that league championship to raise after such a long wait um, what can you say about Jake Morissette the leader and the player yeah I mean first of all I mean we we uh, called for this one didn't we we all wanted uh, Jake Morissette on the team and the fans voted for it which was nice to see because quite often he is underrated, but the fact that the fans voted and um, and recognised the contribution that, that Mo gave to Cardiff, um, he was again. You know, when I in terms of when I say about underappreciated, I remember when we had that um, launch night in the Reed and Smith Theatre and we announced six or so sign-ins, um, and we went down to the bar underneath Park Plaza and we and there was the fans and people coming up going oh this is all brilliant so exciting so happy that player looks good that one looks good but what I'm not so sure about is bringing back Morissette uh, I don't think I would have done that um, and you know I, I was just so well, just you just wait and see you watch him on this new team um, we need somebody to set the bar for any new players coming in of the standard that's expected to them and what they give when they, they go on the ice for the Cardiff Devils and Joe, uh, Jake Morissette is that guy that sets the standard. Yeah, and sure enough, that's what he did. And, you know, if there's one player that, um, that I would love on the team, there's lots of players I'd love on the team, you know, in the, in the new, new era, which is the Scaldi era that's coming along, you know, I, I'd love to have a Jake Morissette there to, you know, to bring the old with the new and, uh, you know, and bring those traits through. But um yeah, Mo was, uh, he was the, the glue guy, I think, in the team is the best way I could describe him. You know, you can have your Joey Martins, your Haddads, your Hothams and all that. But without the guys like Jake Morissette that do all the small and notice things, all the unselfish plays where they draw the player and then they dish the puck off with perfect timing to give you that odd man rush, all those things that Jake Morissette did, yeah, you know, there's no way at the start of the year that anyone would have picked a line with Jake Morissette on it and Andrew Lord as the player coach. Um, nobody knew about Joey Martin, but you wouldn't have picked that line to be the best line in the league. Um, and arguably it was. I mean, I know that the Wah, Fournier and Fretto was good up in Sheffield, but, you know, that line dominated the league and over a number of seasons. And it was, it was the complements of all the different... Um, parts that it had and, and Mo was a huge part of that um, I talked before about him and Richie leading the block shots 
you know, that was a huge part of our success. You know, absolutely fearless. And it was only the year before he came to us that he broke his arm block in a shot in Germany, I think it was. Um, so you'd think he might shy away from that, but no way. You know, he throws himself into those pucks. Um, you think of how many games he won us on a shootout as well. So that's, you know, that's a nervy moment, especially when you've got that style that he had where it was like very, very last minute in terms of pulling the move. He was waiting for the netminder to commit and then he would do the opposite thing. So it's very high risk, but he just delivered that time after time. Um, Lordo spoke, I think, on, um, I think it was on the, the episode where we had the team on here about how Mo would take guys for for lunch, you know, if they weren't playing well. And, um, you know, he did that stuff away from the rink that if he could see a guy that was lacking in confidence, he would take him aside and he would kind of reassure them and find out what was up and make sure it was all put right. And, um, you know, every coach needs a, a, you know, a lieutenant. And I felt that's what Mo was to Lordo because, you know, he had the dressing room's respect he had his coach's respect and he was very much, he could be that kind of uh, middleman between the, between the two and, uh, you know, a huge part of success. And yeah, you know, you reference that, that those moments handing over the league title to, to Mo. And I was so glad to be able to do that to, to Jake Morissette because I just felt that was his, that was his five seconds in the spotlight that he didn't have at all because there was always the Hothams, the Martins, the Bounces grabbing the headlines. But that was his five seconds, you know, to grab the pic, grab the trophy for the picture and to take it across and, and uh, lift it uh, up in front of his teammates. Yeah, I echo all of that, Franny. Uh, the, the just the, the one thing I'd say, and we, we've used it a lot and, and, Again, this came up every time that we interviewed Andrew Lord, uh, Gaz. Jake Morissette was Andrew Lord's problem solver. Um, if a line, <laughs> if a line wasn't going, Jake Morissette would then be put on on that line to to get them going. And and that's why I feared a little bit he he wouldn't make this team because guys like that maybe don't get the adulation or 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 even the numbers they they perhaps deserve. Um, the ultimate team guy, but he, he was a superb hockey player in his own right. But but what a team guy, what, what a guy for Andrew Law to, to have to deploy that he, if, if the line had gone cold, Jake Morissette would go on and, 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 and fix that line. And I don't think you can have any more trust placed in you as a, as a coach. And there's no real more testament to you as a player than that. I agree with that. Yeah, I think for, for, for me, the, the, season that encapsulated how important he was was the, the the second title winning season where Paul Crowder was in the team and there was a time where I you know Benavolio and Elmer weren't really going and Martin had, had gone off the bar for it and there was a run of I'd say about eight or nine games where Morissette and Crowder were paid together and they went on a tear and I think every game you're looking at you know, a couple of goals, you know, two plus twos each on each other and stuff. And I think for me, that was very much Mo to a T. There may have been other parts of the team that were needing a bit of a spark, but you could rely on him to go with someone who was confident at the time in, in Paul Crowder, beef him up even more. And we probably earned nine points maybe from those games where those important goals came in and 
those all points all add up to the end of the season and he's lifting a second league trophy and the first playoff trophy for 19 seasons with an empty net winner uh, courtesy of himself as well so um, you know guy of very few words to be honest when <laughs> you interview him but uh, boy oh boy would uh, if I was building a team would I want a Jake Morissette on it So we come to the final recipient. All of the on ice players have now been bestowed their honor. This man, while the only coach available <laughs> to choose from thus far, this is by far and away not a token uh, award that we are bestowing here. This is the most successful Devils coach of all time. Someone who embraced a new era, a new challenge, and over-delivered on every uh, aim and objective that was given to the team. Uh, a man I know we all have immense respect for. Andrew Lord is the, the uh, player coach of this <laughs> Uh, new era team guys we um, haven't had a chance yet to go on uh, to a new era so uh, this is the last teams that we remember in Devil's Colours they're Andrew Lord's teams Franny did you ever expect the level of performance and success that we uh, were spoilt with during Andrew Lord's time uh, in charge of the Cardiff Devils? No, no. I mean, I, I obviously knew that he had that potential to be the leader that, you know, he turned out to be. But I, I don't think you could have foreseen the success that he had. And um, I, I spoke about it in the press conference when we announced that Lord was, uh, was leaving and going to, to Greenville, um, that in that season when he took over, you know, I did pull him aside and I said, look, I know you're a guy with high, uh, high expectations on yourself and you put a lot of pressure on yourself to perform. And, you know, um, let me just tell you now, as a player coach, your point tally is going to half because of the added role. And that's only natural. Don't feel down on yourself. I know what you're like. You're a perfectionist. You're going to, you know, you're going to be hard on yourself, but you can't do that because you've got to think of the overall team and you can't have any focus on yourself when you're, you know, you're leading the team as well. And, you know, just expect your point production to half. And and it didn't. <laughs> he ended up, you know, a point, a point a game on the best line in the league and, you know, leading the charge on all fronts as well as doing a hell of a job on the coaching front. And, you know, we know Lordo as the player could easily fit in on that, that line as well. Um, as it turns out, you know, he fits on this as a, as a player coach, which, you know, it, it just works that that all the names that we've mentioned are in there. But, you know, hell of a player. I loved it when he started himself on that, you know, first shift with, I mean, Marty would be there, you know, pretty much to win the draw and uh, get it back to the D to chip it deep. And then Lauder would put himself with whoever was the most physical player out there with him. And they'd just go and run someone, set the tone, and the BBT would just ignite, wouldn't it? Um, so I loved, I loved that. Um, you know, again, on the penalty kill, he would be one of the first names that I would call out, you know, when I was on the bench and, um, you know, because 
again, you know how diligent he is in terms of um, adhering to systems, but also brave, putting himself in front of pucks, strong on the puck, just a, a very, very complete player. You know, one so well suited to to our league and uh, the absolute heart of a lion. Yeah, um, sorry, I, yeah, I I got a bit of a. Um... Lodo's the one I've got a bit of an emotional connection with because it, I guess we, we, you know, again, we were, we were slightly privileged in, in, uh, you know, we weren't like Franny. We didn't work with him and also credit to Franny. He's the one that recommended Lordo to, to, to Todd as a, a player coach or another great uh, piece of work there by, by Neil Francis. But I guess um, interviewing him over the course of what was it? Five years, what have you, it, it was really kind of, exciting to see a um a coach grow and and, and comfortable he, he was always comfortable in his own skin but but just the, the 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 experience that came with it and and how he kind of evolved every year um and, and no doubt for the players and you know he could be a pain in the backside with how disciplined he was and how regimented he was but i, I don't know for, for me and again you know guys i know you interviewed i i got to interview him uh, uh, um a lot and i and i it was it was always an educational thing to to find you know could could, could I get him to to trust me a little bit could I get him to <laughs> to talk to me a little bit could I get him not just to give those um those those standard the responses because if you could get Andrew Lord to talk he, he nobody knows hockey like Andrew Lord or, or no one I've spoken to so it was always educational and you sometimes got more off Andrew Lord off camera than you did on camera but um such a fascinating guy such a considered guy. But for, 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 for me, um, you know, talking about the fact that, you know, I always expect Cardiff Devils because of I grew up in the lucky John Lawless era. I always, Cardiff Devils for me, the benchmark is competing for, for, for league titles. And, and, you know, along with, 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 with Franny, who was still involved with the club, Lordo set a standard. And it, and it felt like that even if it was going to take one, two, three years, we were now talking about that again as the end goal and yeah, money helps and stability helps. And, and that's the fortunate position we had with the new owners credit again to Neil Francis for, 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 for that. But you know, that only goes to a certain degree. You've still got to have the guy who brings it all together. And in Andrew Lord, you really felt that the job wasn't going to be get done until he won that, that league trophy. And that's why I really bought into to Andrew Lord. And I had him in my team as a player. Because I think, again, similar to Jared Adams, you talk about Jared Adams, the coach, you forget how good a player he was. You talk about Andrew Lord, the coach, you forget how good a player he was. I thought he was an excellent center ice as a winger, a power winger. He could change momentum. He, he, he always chipped in with his 20-plus goals, but his hits, his penalty killing. Um, I, I, Andrew Lord was one of my favorite players, let alone, let alone coach. But, um, I always get a little bit of a lump in the throat when I talk about Andrew Lord, cause it was, it was, it was watching him grow and, and, you know, from a distance guys, you and I got, got to do that perhaps close, more closely than some of the, the other fans. And, um, I, I wish him nothing but well, and, and, and yeah, just, I've got so much time for him and, and just thank him for, what what he did for the devils along with so many other people but but he was the guy who you know ultimately had had the responsibility to deliver and 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 boy did he deliver i'm gonna say something very similar to what i said about g not gonna give any way give um any club secrets away but the trust um i had from from lordo to do what we do off the ice um it's very similar to what g gave neil 
um, and I would go through a brick wall for that for that guy um, for for those very very reasons. He always wanted the best for for Cardiff and the best um, best for the fans and that winning that winning culture. He invested in in things that a lot of um, uh, uh, when we started doing them, a lot of people thought were hocus pocus in in the in the hockey world. But now a lot of clubs are now have now caught up and and doing. But that gave us a as a club an edge for for at least three four years over the opposition and the faith he put in it in us to do that. Um, yes, it was because he he loved the detail and he wanted to win. He wanted any any edge, but he trusted us completely, and I'll forever be thankful for him and wish him all the success. Uh, all the success, all the success. Yeah, I can't. What's that word? We can't. We can't success. say it. Yeah, I was, no, I was, struggling, <laughs> yeah. I was struggling with success, but is is I think it's is John points out because it's emotional with Lauder. You you do get drawn into that emotional, um, that emotional relationship with him. That yeah, you just what you you just wish every everything he gets everything he wants. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest trend. Sorry to. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. uh, the, the biggest strength of Lordo is he's never satisfied. And that could be demotivating when you just think you've given your all. But that's what makes successful people successful, is that they're never satisfied. They're always raising the bar. So you could go out and think you've had an, a most amazing game. But with Lordo, there was always a but. You know, there'd be the praise, but. And then you'd like give all these other things and you're like, Jesus Christ, you know, they, the guys are like, they got to step it up again. And, you know, and that was his way. And um, I, I think nobody could ever argue against it because they saw the work that Lorda would put in off the ice. So all the stuff that Hubs is talking about, all the extra detail that he went to, you know, you've got a guy that for a long part of it was playing as well as coaching and doing all this stuff as well. And he's asking me to give a little bit more. Well, if that guy is working... 18 hours a day for the club, then I can work another 20 minutes for the club, you know? So um, he was always raising the bar and that, that's what, you know, he sets the bar so high and he's always looking to push it. And that's why he is so successful. Um, there was a, an interview on the uh, Swamp Rabbits um, period breaks with, breaks with one of their owners and they were sort of waxing lyrical about Lordo and what he brings and, you know, they can see why he's had so much success in the past. And it's good to see that they are already recognising that. And, you know, they're having a great season over there. And, you know, it's a bit of a different environment over there because your sole job isn't to win the league like it is here. You know, you're looking to develop players and, you know, look after the AHL, NHL prospects and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. So it's good to see he's already made an impression over there. Um, You know, no doubt in my mind, this is just the first step of his journey across in North America. Um, but, you know, you, you both said about, you know, the emotion and you saw the emotion in his press conference when he left. You know, he is a heart and a sleeve kind of guy. And, you know, he is, um, he'll drive you nuts at times. I'm sure he did as, you know, when you uh, were interviewing him and Hubs with the stats because he's always demanding more. And with, with the interviews, he doesn't want to give anything away. He'd rather say nothing. I, you know, like Todd said before, he'd rather us announce our team on the 25th of August, you know, as we're coming into our first game or, or whatever. Um, and Todd's like, look, we got to announce teams, but I, I don't want to give it away to the other teams who we've signed. And 
and he would drive you nuts with all those things. But then in the same, you know, you can't help love him because of the passion that he's got, the enthusiasm, the energy, and delivering what is best for the club at the end of the day. 100%. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I totally, you know, sympathise with John's uh, assessment of uh, the relationship we, we had with, with Lordo. We, it was, you know, the, the only coach, I guess, we were lucky enough to build a relationship with us um, because of the, the, the paths we crossed. And um, John, I don't know about you, but I'd say top five nights of Devils fandom or, you know, being part of this club is uh, the night that he retired. And I was lucky enough to call that goal uh, that he scored with a minute left. And then you did the interview and you made him cry again. Um, yeah. but <laughs> it's, um, that for me was a very special evening because there was nothing on that game other than to celebrate the career of Andrew Lord. And it was kind of a stepping stone for him to take full charge of the club. And that was a very special uh, a night for me. I don't know if you want to touch on any of your memories from that, because I know that, uh, you know, that interview at the end was very, uh, very uh, yeah. special as well. Well, f- f- first of all, guys, your your goal call was was great, and what a what a moment to to, to have, <laughs> and uh, you captured the moment perfectly. Um, yeah, my my, my favourite interview that I did because uh, um, it, it it was a guy I I cared about, and I I do uh, kind of care about Andrew Lord, and um, for once it was it was it was about him. Uh, in interviews, he was always talking about the team and and this and that, and it was it was kind of nice to have an interview to capture him in the raw emotion of it and see what passion he had for for the game and he knew he was going to go on coaching and he knew he was going to have a long career coaching but that that was going to be the final time he he laced up the skates um which he'd done since childhood and it really caught him the emotion and you saw the 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 human side of him um and uh yeah along with the press conference which franny talked about he's he's a heart on his sleeve guy and I can understand if you work with him every day of the week with the standards he demands, he was probably a pain in the neck. <laughs> but I, I just can't help root for the guy. I, um, I'd say that it's hard to explain this kind of aura around the club, but the best I guess I can do is we changed the interview setting from doing it to the benches to doing it in a media room. So now it was okay, so no waiting for Lord to come out the changing room, he had to come up this corridor. And you could hear the door open every week. Open the door to come into the media room, you had a sense of what mood he was in. It was really weird. He didn't say anything. He didn't, you know, the, the score could, we could have won 6-1, but you could still feel he was angry about something. And it was just a presence, and it, it would always be how I prepared myself to, how does it feel once I hear that door open? And then he would come to the door, and again, you would know and see they would just intensify this feeling. There might be a decision that went against him, and sometimes he would get it out before the cameras rolled. Sometimes he wouldn't want to make a point on camera, but he definitely had an aura about him that you knew he was in the vicinity. And I, you know, as a player, I can only imagine you knew that all, all the time as well. When he was in a room, that was his room. And that was his domain, and you were going to follow him, come what may, and many people did. And I, the biggest regret of this day is we never got him to announce a signing 
during an interview, even though we knew people were already signed and he would not give it up <laughs> before it was time to issue the press release mid-season. We never got him to do it. And here we are, guys. We're at the end of our odyssey of the greatest Devils team of all time. That's quite a list. Yeah, happy with how that turned out. It was, uh, you know, we had, we had the chat beforehand and, you know, sort of put our cars on the table. And then, like you said, it was, you know, literally thousands of votes that we had in. Um, and uh, there's, you know, some great players that have been missed off this, but um, credit to them for, for even being on the, the short list. But uh, each and every guy that's, that's ended up in this, team of the era um, is, is just worthy of it. And again, you know, thanks for everything that you've done for the Cardiff Devils. Absolutely. So uh, if you're one of the eager listeners and you're managing to listen to this on the release date of Friday, then tomorrow is Saturday and you will be able to uh, join in the raffle of one of these jerseys. I believe there's four, Franny, there's been... Four, four jerseys up. Yeah, the first four are up for raffle. So what a great four prizes up for grab, a very, very rare piece of Devil's Memorabilia. Please go to our socials as well, at BTB Franny. Um, tell us who maybe you think should have made the list. Tell us your favourite memories of the guys who did make the list. And also tell us who you want us to arrange for an interview next. I think we've dropped a few candidates in these last two episodes, Ivan Matulik, Jared Adams... Brad Forth, lots of guys we can get on. So uh, yeah, over over to the, to the listeners, I guess. Who do you want to hear from the most? And we'll try and arrange that. And thank you all so much for voting and listening to these podcasts. They've been so enjoyable to go back through, and uh, it's amazing to see the amount of talent that this club has had passed through it over the last thirty plus years. We'll be back in the next couple of weeks. But for now, I've been Gareth Hewish on behalf of John Donovan. Uh, thank you, Gareth. Thank you, everybody. Just a quick note. Don't tweet me how much you disagree with me. I'm, I'm, I'm ginger. I'm fat. My <laughs> wife hates me. I got, sacked. I got sacked from the Devil's commentary team. I already know I'm wrong on so many counts. Don't, don't tweet me. <laughs> But, but, you're, right. but you're a hell of a centre-back partner, JD. But, uh, yeah. but I, there we go. And that's the most important thing for Annie. That so is like, the most important thing. Thursday nights. Yes. I shall see you Thursday. And thank you for another great trip down memory lane over the last couple of weeks, guys. And on behalf of Neil Francis, who, lest we forget, I know we don't do as much, but you will have your shirt immortalised as well in this run. So stick tap to you, sir, for all of your contributions to this great club. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, the next time you'll grace us with your memories um, on this podcast. Uh, Producer Hubs, if you would, please, uh, we need some brass bonanza to go with our Easter eggs. So if you could play us out. <laughs>